Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Opto Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we are back. Uh, the last episode we did, we kind of went through, I named it one-fourth of, I said, what did I name it? Uh, and Nick and Andy answer one-fourth of a listener's question, and that one got a decent amount of 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 listens people are interested in it and there's a lot more to that email that we were talking about in that podcast that uh, we're going to discuss right now and um and so and then and then so in our response so for our last podcast in our response to that uh the guy who wrote that email sent another response so we'll see if we make it all the way to that response there's a lot of stuff happening like there's a lot here to unpack yeah. i don't know if we'll actually and we make can't it that far. we can't necessarily guarantee that we're going to respond to responses in this podcast the yeah. reason why i'm willing to do this is because of the respect i have for this i actually i know this person i pastored him he's in ministry he's a very smart very reasonable guy and i have a lot of respect for his wife too He's a dad. Okay, but did you see what he said in the new email? He said, when I'm in town, maybe we'll grab a drink and talk about it. No. So I know his tactic is to try to get Nick and I drunk so that he can, <laughs> so he can change our minds. I'm not, I'm not buying yeah. it. Um, yeah. no, so um, this, this is a guy who I would, we would have on the podcast with us right now if he wouldn't get good. kicked out of the country yeah. he's in for doing it. Right. right? And right. I'm sure he would be a super amiable um, guy to talk to. Sweet. So I just, I, I think this is worth grappling with because- this is a guy who I have a lot of respect for, put his money where his mouth is. His, he's in one of these Arab countries. He loves these people as he should as a missionary. And he's trying to grapple with this personally himself. And we are not in that country and trying to grapple with it. And I think that this is a really healthy thing. So I, mm-hmm. if you write in a, a, an email, I can't guarantee that Andy and I will do two podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but there's a lot of and really people seem to be interested in this topic. Yeah, people are really interested in. So, so we're going to try to get through the rest of this email and I, and maybe through a little bit of the next one. I think the, another thing that we might get to at the very end of this, who knows? Probably not. I'm, but I I want to do a series uh, coming up here with Nick on Nick's going through a a sermon series right now on the technopoly uh, and a, and the Christian response to tech and social media and all that stuff. And so the first sermon was yesterday. Uh, and so yeah, we, I've been waist deep in that like, stuff for a while. I would love yeah. to talk about it more. So I want to do some sort of series on Optive. So so maybe we'll discuss a little bit of that after we talk about this email or maybe not. But just so people know, that's coming. There's a lot of good good things coming. I got some really cool interviews coming up um, tomorrow. Yeah. I'm interviewing Ken Ham, big, the big Ken Ham, um, the guy. By yourself. Who, by myself, yeah, and he didn't invite me onto that one. Yeah. No, I, I'm interviewing Cam Ham, um, and then I've got some other interesting guys coming up. Um, I think I might have one with Greg Allison. I don't know. Do you know Greg Allison? I don't think so. Didn't you think interview I, him before? No, that was Craig Blomberg. <laughs> I don't know if that's if if that. Anyways, there's going to be some really good things. But let's get to this email. Okay, Okay. so we kind of had had talked about his kind of introduction. So he goes into uh, another critique now that I'm going to read, and then this is really a critique at Nick. And uh, so we'll hear what Nick's response is. But here's what he says. He says, and remember, this guy's name is John. We're calling him John. Um, So John says Nick (laughs) Nick made some comments about the U.S. not tracking where the money went and how it was used as humanitarian aid and what exactly went to. I agree with you. However, I will add that Israel is the only foreign nation that is not required to submit documentation back to the USA, itemizing how and what the aid was used for, usually done by embassy workers, NGOs, or friends on the ground. This is, this is true in the country that I am living in. 
as I have several friends who work at the embassy here, one of whom is his job job to track and monitor the humanitarian aid that comes in. So it doesn't, quote, not happen. Uh, is it efficient, precise, and always accurate? No. I completely understand there is corruption all over and there are so many loopholes, so it isn't much of an argument. But they do all have to at least submit some paperwork and there, uh, there is some relative oversight on all federal relief dollars, except for the money that goes to Israel. P.S. The U.S. gives Israel about $10 million per day, much more than any other nation. So his... <clears throat> Obviously, making an argument that that they're that they are tracking it in some way, shape, or form. He also concedes, yeah, it's not really tracked very well, but mm-hmm. it it is happening. Um, and the one country that we give aid to, Israel, is they they don't have to track anything. There, there's no requirements. I'm not totally, yeah. I don't know if this is accurate or not. And I'm, I'm going to just, we're just going to trust him. Right. I mean, unless you did some research on this, I don't yeah. know if that's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. So I don't have any reason to falsify that right. claim. Yeah. Um, I think, so I think whether or not we should expect some answer for what we give Israel, I suppose is reasonable. I think part of the difference is yeah. that I think the aid we give Israel is not, is not humanitarian aid. That it's it's geopolitical aid. We actually want a functioning democracy in the Arab world. There isn't one other than than Israel, as far as I know. Sure. I mean, just tell me another functioning democracy that has Western values in the entire Arab world. I can't I can't think of one. Right? We have other st- strategic geopolitical allies in the Arab world, um, but we do not have. There is not another Western style functioning democracy in which Christians and gays are both safe, <laughs> right? To put it right, right, in, that, right. in those terms. Um, so in that sense, I think it may be, a, that may be one of the reasons for the difference, right? Um, I is also there, think- Is there like a governmental dis- distinction between humanitarian aid and whatever you're saying, geopolitical aid? I don't know. It, okay, I so, suspect that the money we give Israel is intentionally military aid. And so we don't need much to be, to be told much about it because we literally expect it to be spent on buying guns. Sure. Right. Um, I so, I, and I, I and I think that's. I mean, so for where I'm coming from politically, I think that's probably money well spent. However, sure. um, I do think it's important what he said. I know that in the categorization of money going into places like Gaza, there can be issues with how, like, like there's a ledger that says where the money went. That doesn't mean it's where the money went, right? Like, there's right, right. Pe- people have reported in the news about like, like you can fill your truck up with oil or with with gas, and then you have to drive down the road and have that gas siphoned off. For the Hamas people to sell whoever they want to, right, right. Like so, so the idea that like the the fact is is that it's pretty preposterous that these records are like valid and helpful. What and seems accurate. to be very obvious is that Hamas has been incredibly well funded. Now, whether or not that funding is coming primarily through aid to Gaza, or whether it's coming through money going into Iran and then into Gaza. Like you could say we don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't have. I mean, obviously, I don't have clearance with the CIA. I I don't know what we know about that. What I do think, yeah. and I think for this person, the question is not the stupidity of the Biden administration, but the humanitarian obligations we have to the Arabs in Gaza. Right. So I so I would say as a geopolitical matter, us no longer sanctioning Iran was the stupidest thing you could have possibly imagine. Because of the billions of dollars pouring into Iran because of all the oil they've sold since that happened in the Biden administration. 
Um, and I mean, remember during the Obama administration, they attempted to fly planes full of literal paper money over to Iran. So the 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 placation Iran deals that the last two Democratic presidents have engaged in um, are so catastrophically foolish and have materially harmed the average civilian in Gaza. I mean, I think that's one of the things we need to recognize that that President Biden. I don't know if I could put it quite this darkly, but it seems like President Biden is as much to blame in that he should have known how to easily prevent huge amounts of money from pouring into Hamas's coffers to be yeah. used against Israel that would necessarily obligate them to retaliate um, militarily, which has precipitated what's been happening in Gaza. So I think one of the things – so I, so in terms of the aid and stuff, it, it may be that Gaza is being extremely well-funded from – Iran more than from humanitarian aid, but there seems to me to be a lot of information and a lot of claims from people that 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 money is being appropriated to Hamas. Let me argue on 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 John's side for a second, in in a way, and I bet you'll agree with this next. So I don't know if it's really an argument, but if he's right that we're giving Israel about ten million dollars per day, and we aren't tracking any of it, like I, to me as a taxpayer who already thinks that we 99% of the stuff we give taxes to is stupid. The idea that we're giving money to any other country and not having that money be completely and totally tracked is in psychotic in my head. So even even yeah. if we want Israel to exist as this democracy in the Middle East, as a light of, of democracy in Western civilization, great, whatever. I'm, I like that. Fine. Uh, 10 million bucks a day. And no, we don't know where that's going. That pisses me off. I, I don't like that. I and I think I think, you know, it's yeah, it does I mean, if feel we, like a double standard than if you're having other countries. But we're giving money to all of the people all around them that want to kill them too. Sure. So I don't know what, why do you think it would be fairer if we gave Gaza, Jordan, Syria, Egypt, all these places mm -hmm. financial aid, and then none to Israel? No, I think we should a lot of that financial, financial aid is being reappropriated to militarization. Yeah, We'd literally I, I, be giving. We're giving right. Israel's neighbors the money they need to destroy Israel. No, I don't think we should give any money to anybody but Israel in that area. I don't know why we would. I have no clue why we would give any money to anybody who's an, a complete and total sworn enemy of to democracy and Western civilization. So I think that's you don't. That's just why we would give them money. You don't think that we could have allies worth having as allies unless they are western style democracies it's really hard i understand okay you have the like world war ii situation with stalin where we had to have that that ally during world war ii to stop hitler and the, that would be a very whatever. stark example okay yep. mm -hmm. but like and, and that was for a time and then immediately after that we go into the cold war with them that lasts a long time and we're like mm -hmm. at and nobody knows who's going to end the world first okay so yeah. i have a really hard time seeing how those if I'm if I look at like totalitarian or communist or Marxist states or Islamic states, I, I look at their moral basis and I look at the manipulation, the lying, and I just say to myself, is it really an ally if they're just lying to us, manipulating us, taking from us, using our things, building up militaries, and then destroying the, the destroying the Western whatever, whether that be Israel or actually coming to America and destroying us through our universities or what in other ways? Like, mm -hmm. I just think that we need to. Now, okay, I don't. I'm not gonna make it. Okay, I'll stop there because I, I'm gonna say something that's gonna make a lot of people mad. I, I don't know what I think about imperialization. 
but I do know that I don't want to ally with 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 um, civilization or countries that have a fundamental that their fundamental existence is antithetical to Western democracy, American values, and I think. Unless the unless the situation is perfect, like a World War II or a World War III, in which we, we the only way to win in this very catastrophic event is to side with somebody like a Stalin, uh, even though we, we we don't necessarily agree with anything that you know the Russians had the largest army in the world at the time. It was like that was a big win for the Allies to to get them on our side. But yeah, didn't they didn't last. even have a single. They didn't even have a rifle for all of the men they had in their army, but they did have the <laughs> yeah. largest army. They had a lot of people, but yeah, I, I guess, yeah. and I don't know if what type. Of, I really don't know where that lies on the conservative liberal spectrum. What I just said, but I, I have a really hard time allying with people who I know hate America and what we are and what we do, mm-hmm. especially if it's like for oil purposes, like with was Iraq or Iraq. I can't remember, but like if if the Democrats, like if we're taking oil from some of these Middle Eastern companies or c- countries, and then like. Uh, not allowing in America for us to take our own oil, whether it be in Alaska or the southern states and Texas and things like that for for like uh, global warming, all that bull crap. Or I don't know if it's connected to global warming or climate change or whatever, but it's not good for the environment. Like I don't like that either. Like I just want us to be homegrown as much as possible. And then I have made a decision about imperialization. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And pe- people just think it's bad because – because of the colonialization and all that crap. I, but I, do you know what I'm saying here? Um, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I, I do think that – so one, I don't want to make absolute geopolitical pronouncements because I think that <laughs> they can be – there's so much I don't know about this. You know. Well, give me an example um, in which you would want to uh, um, side with – you would want to ally with a Middle Eastern country that hates Israel. But that you would want to keep their their favor. Yeah, I think I can give you an example of this. Um, I mean, for a, a significant amount of time, the other Arab states in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula have kind of been against us and really against Israel, for example. And during the Trump administration, one of the things that – and I don't know how much Nikki Haley was involved in this. But one of the things that was able to happen was to get some of these Muslim countries – um, in Arab countries on board economically with Israel and to no longer fundamentally consider them to be this like hateful state. And Saudi Arabia did not become more democratic or more liberal, but they, they sort of stopped considering like Israel as like the great Satan sort of thing, like connected to us because they had other issues like Iran and other groups. And so there was geopolitical stuff happening within the Muslim world that was creating certain dynamics and axes of peace you consider that by to be creating a, certain certain um, ally dynamics, and these are people okay. who still would like they would they I mean a lot of people still, they would still hate America or they wouldn't like America yeah. and they wouldn't like Christians or maybe Caucasians but they but they but the like the the triangulation of hatred and possible war and all that kind of stuff was like ameliorated a certain to a certain amount in right. positive ways. So, so you're considering those those sorts of influences as al- allies that were influencing their view of or the worth of- spending money on perhaps at least certain portions of it. 
Give right. it, like if you, if what do you put, mean if, like spending money on them as in giving money to them it, like uh, giving money to them or or spending money on their market or trade or or like opening up trade routes and with with saying like okay we'll trade with you if you stop doing x to israel like how what are you i guess i would say doing that? things everything costs money doing things that help us influence them in that direction in ways we think would will way outweigh the financial inputs. Hmm. Do you think, do you not think I'm one, I wonder, and I don't know, but do you not think that it would be worth consolidating that money that we've given to all these other Arab, uh, Middle Eastern countries and give that to the, to Israel to build up like a insanely huge military and then, and then, and then peace through strength, you know what I mean? And then kind of advocate, be advocates for peace through strength. No, I, I don't think so. And I think, and here's why, right? So like one of the biggest problems with what I understand to be something of John's understanding of this, and this is just one portion of it, right? Is that um, part of the issue is some people behave, a lot of Democrats behave as though the people in Gaza aren't complicit in the actions of Hamas. Sure. The problem with that is, and that's partly true, but the problem with that is, is that when you actually do re- survey research in Gaza, hmm. something like 70% of people like Hamas, like they're for Hamas. Sure. Right. Right. They like, like they actually did vote for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then this is how Hamas predictably behaves. Right. right. And so um, now it may be that, um, People even tell pollsters what the group wants hmm. them to tell them. I mean, maybe, I mean, but I, I think one of the things that the United States wants to do is they would like to see the attitude in Jordan, in Gaza, in Egypt, in Syria change. Hmm. And only by us engaging with those countries can we maybe, because the question is, do you want to spend the blood in the iron to kill them all and win that way? Or can there be a process of modernization in these Islamic countries and a a process of understanding where maybe they don't become literally Western democracies, but they, they decide they don't hate Israel and they don't want to, they don't want to kill all the Jews. Cause like there's a version of Islam where you can believe in every word of the Quran and not want to literally kill all the Jews. Like that came from somewhere. Every word of the Quran. You can't believe in every word. You're like a pseudo. The Quran doesn't say you have to kill every person of the book. It says that you should you like, every like, it insinuates you should suspect them and be really careful. But there's but the the Quran has um whether it's a contradiction or a tension in this area, in one place it says that you should like cut off their heads wherever you find them and like basically kill whoever's not a Muslim and doesn't want to convert. But then in another place it says um that there's no compulsion in the things of religion, particularly in relationship to the people of the book. That is, that there is actually a um there's actually a brotherhood in the people of the Bible. And that Jews, Christians, and Muslims actually have a certain kind of coherence. And Muhammad is saying in that surah, we don't just kill them. Now, some people have said, these are two different Muhammads. The Muhammad that had not yet conquered said, first, there's no compulsion things of religion when he still could be militarily overpowered. But once he became large and in charge and really had military control of the region, he started saying things like, cut off their necks whenever you find them. Right. Right. Whether or not that's true, because 
is Muslims don't usually believe in the hermeneutics, in biblical theology hermeneutics. That is that you have to understand the flow of the message through time in the scriptures because the Quran is only surahs or, or a kind of psalm. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a series of poems, usually longest to shortest. That time scale isn't theologically relevant technically in Islam. And so therefore you could argue the Quran says this, we are going to do this because the, the cutout there next wherever you find them could be interpreted more narrowly to be like, like very unjust pagan peoples or something like that. Now it's still horrifying, but the question is, must it apply to the Jews? And the answer is, I don't think it has to apply to all Jews everywhere. But such that every faithful Muslim has to believe in the genocide of Jews and Christians. But I suppose I just have a problem. I, I don't, Let's say what you're saying is true. The the verse or do they call them verses? I don't know. The, the, the verse that says, you know, cut off their heads and kill them if they're not part of yeah. us. That um, okay, let's say that it's not applicable to Christians and Jews, but it is applicable to pagans. And like what, what and this is what, what was funny about seeing all the liberal progressive LGBTQ people be pro Hamas is that. Hamas would slaughter those people if they were if if they actually met them. And so when when you say that like the 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 version of western uh democracy that is uh both pro-christian and pro-gay or not, not pro but, but but allows for the safety of each of them you're not going to be able to build that civilization in one of these countries that is heavily islam simply because even if they are um friendly towards Jews and Christians they won't be friendly towards the gay or the home, or the LGBTQ which like whatever believe what you want about that stuff but i don't think that it's possible to build a civil civilization on the basis of islam i think that the middle east is pretty tried and true like it's 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 barbaric i mean the play it's nuts there's different terrorist groups all over the place trying to slaughter each other all the time and I think that's because they don't have a moral ethic that call that that calls for any sort of civility or tolerance, but or actual true sacrificial love. But rather, it is a it feel or it seems to me like it's a barbaric emperor, like almost communist style ethic that builds. Yeah. Okay. Up- so here's let me say how I can partially agree with what you're saying. In that, I would. There is a version, quote, a version of Islam, like a liberal version, where yeah. some of these things could be reinterpreted for the modern world. And that stuff could be downplayed profoundly. Sure. The reason why I struggle with that is if somebody interpreted Christian truth like that, right. I would say they weren't a Christian. That's right? exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so like on one level, as a historic, biblical, Orthodox Christian, I hope most Muslims will become liberal, progressive, modernist Muslims. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, sure. because when Jesus said, like, love your enemy, right? and Peter, put away your sword, yeah. and if you're peacemakers, you'll be the sons of God. Mm-hmm. And I interpret that literally in the modern world. I'm going to do good to my neighbor. I'm not going to kill everybody. I'm like, I'm not going to yeah. kill my gay neighbor, even if I disagree with their what, the, what they think human sexuality yeah. is for. Right. Whereas if the more I interpret the Quran and the Hadiths that way, mm-hmm. the more I believe in conquest and fighting and jihad and not just a spiritual jihad, but a literal jihad and so on. Mm-hmm. 
And the only thing that has saved the modern world from being Islamicized by force is the is the just the battlefield superiority that was established mm. um, from Tours de Portier on. Like if the yeah. Franks hadn't figured out or the, the Franks and the Normans hadn't figured out how to beat Muslims in field combat and if Alexandria um, didn't have Greek fire, mm. we would all speak Arabic today. Yeah. Like it's it's not because Muslims like changed their view and were like, you know what, we're not going to take over everybody. I mean, it was just it was just <laughs> because at some point Europeans figured out how to beat them. Yeah. And then they beat them back ultimately. And that and then that became the distance that they that they went. So um yeah, so I th- I think that like I want but, but still my my hope for Jordan and Egypt and those places is that their Islam would um okay, so let me say it this way. Geopolitically, I would like to see their Islam modernize and liberalize. Um spiritually, I'd actually like to see them convert to Christ. Yeah, right, right. That totally. they would see the prophet Esau as properly revealed in the Bible, mm-hmm. as Jesus the Christ, not as he is explained 600 years later by Muhammad mm-hmm. and some of the hadiths. And people for people to realize that as Muslims believe Jesus is the one who will judge them in the end, that it is actually the Jesus of the New Testament that will judge them in the end, not the Jesus of Islamic lore. Mm-hmm. And that by coming to Jesus the Christ, who was more Arab than European, mm-hmm. they would be really coming into the true, um, the truth of their ancestors. And in some ways that is very Muslim in this sense that the Christianity that, that Muhammad rejected was, I think likely a kind of desert ebionism, like a, like a heretical Christianity mm-hmm. and the heresies of Christianity that Muhammad so desperately believed had to be rejected. I think in many cases are rejected by Christians Mm-hmm. Like we don't believe Mary is part of the Trinity. Like we, like we, you know, like there's a bunch of those sorts of heresies that are kind of in the Bible or in the Quran, like the Bible teaches them, but they, but the Bible doesn't teach them. Right. And right. so the Christianity that Muhammad rejected, I think is a Christianity that Christians reject. Yeah. However, there are parts of Islam that would have to be rejected. One of those would have to be, and Muhammad is his prophet. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. one of it, well, yeah, which, which that's is a tough which, one for Muslims to give up, you know, because it makes up a whole lot of their entire religion. I, I think, yeah, there's a rejection and society uh, and family structure. And like there, there are what's, what's sometimes called a tertiary culture where their politics, their religion, their family structure, their culture, everything is so intertwined for mm-hmm. a Muslim to give up Islam is so different than a kid from Missouri giving up Christianity. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, I, I think we can move into the next section just because the the um I don't know the, as far as the money goes and stuff like that. I think that's a conversation you could an endless conversation because there's endless yeah. amounts of money being thrown all over okay, the place. This is one of the areas where I think I might agree with you on quote imperialism, though I, we probably shouldn't use that word. I know because of don't the like associations, that. but the idea of us going into other countries and directly influencing them. I yeah. think in the paradigm you're using, even maybe by force, right? Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think one of the ways to do it is to say, we are the only ones that will distribute our humanitarian work. Yeah. If you want humanitarian aid from America, you will yeah, invite right. our missionaries or our yeah. Peace Corps volunteers or our Teach right. America volunteers or whatever, mm-hmm. and they will have stations and they will distribute food to households mm-hmm. and they will hand over the rice and they will hand over the flour and they will hand mm-hmm. in, t- in the households and they will, you know what I mean? So that- to make it even harder for Hamas to then recollect everything. 
Exactly. Those yeah. sorts of groups. Yeah. And so I would, I might be open to that. I don't know what negative consequences it might have. And I'm open to the fact that there might be perverse incentives or unintended consequences. So yeah. I don't want to say I'm for that, but I'm open to that given right. what seems to be happening. There is one thing as we move into the next section that we can all agree on is our sponsor today, nevernicky.net. Go to <laughs> nevernicky.net. <laughs> um, no, I don't I'm know. Kidding. I don't hate Nikki Haley as much as Dude, Rand Paul does. I, I am so sick of Nikki Haley. Nevernicky.net. Go there and sign the petition, people. I'm, that's not really a sponsor, yeah. but I'm just so pro nevernicky.net. It's it's so Republican too. Nobody else uses .net. Like what? Like who's? That's like 1995. Like who's, you know, but Rand Paul and his guys, like never Nikki.net. Okay. Um, it does rhyme better than dot com. It does. It does. But it, it also sounds old. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I've got to go on the net. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm never Nikki. I like, there's some stuff about her I like. And I, frankly, dude, there are things Nikki in the primary, neocon. There are things in the neocon foreign policy stuff that I'm, I'm for. Like, bro, like, I think Vivek is too separationist. Like, the, have you, I mean, the stuff he says about Ukraine, I'm just not on board with. Bro, bro, like, bro, listen. Some listen, of the stuff listen. I'm on board with, but some of the stuff I am not on board with. I'm not on board with everything, but I do. The, the principle that Vivek is trying to make is things yeah. are so screwed up at home that we need to, we need to come back home and we need to deal with our crap and then figure out what we're going to do internationally after that. And I, and I, 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 no, I disagree with that. Oh, dude! Um, I and, 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 and here's the thing: I'm, I'm, I'm prone to quote Nikki Haley at you because what it. Nikki Haley I think said in the first debate is we can walk and chew don't gum at the same time, and obviously it's more complicated than that. But like, the, no, the we United can't. Cannot, We've proven that we can't. The do United that. States cannot just stop everything we do all over the world, like in one fell swoop, and say we're going to take care of things at home for a while, like. You, 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 you can't do what would happen in on the planet if we did I'm, that. I don't China think would literally take over every waterway. From India to Midway Island in 20 no, no, no. minutes. I don't Taiwan think would be subsumed under their government. They might even take over Australia for all that we know. Like, I mean, <laughs> you have no idea what would happen. They take over the Philippines. They take over like no, I all get of those that. islands in the South Pacific. They might even invade Japan for all that. I, know. I mean, like I have. Okay, I, but, I just, you, but from my understanding of what Vivek is saying is that you – that basically what the United States needs to do is to not get involved in anything new, clean up house, stay where they are, clean up house. Like, it's, for instance, he said, like, cut the $80 billion public school education, the education department. Cut, just, okay, just getting rid of destroy federal, that. Okay, th this isn't supposed to be a, a podcast on this, but I have been on board with the whole, like, let's get together, get rid of whole departments of the government for a yeah. while. I, yeah, do yeah. Not, I do not think we need a department of education. You see I just, what's happening I, in I literally Argentina? think we could actually get rid of the entire department of education <clears throat> you see what's happening in argentina with their new president he's no. he's 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 literally like a super libertarian and he's just slashed like eight like 50 percent of the government agencies just just got rid of them like it yeah. just got rid of him in his first hundred days and vivek is like i want to do that and i'm all, i'm like yeah just get okay, rid there of is part crap. of me that just wants to see if that's legally possible like for, i know I he's like he's like oh yeah i got a loophole i'm like i would kind of like to see if that works <laughs> well, i know yeah. that there's a lot of people who are like oh man if you cut that it would destroy our public schools i, I don't really think i don't that's actually the think point people i don't that's actually the point, is to but destroy i don't actually think school. if you go down the road to our public school and you say how much do you actually depend on the smart people over there at the department of education they would, I mean, the only, what these departments do is they, they move money around, right? And I just, I just think that it would be so much easier 
<laughs> like I, I was anyway. Th- the point is, is that like mm. I don't agree that we could just pull out of like what we're doing in the Middle East, what we're doing in the Pacific, what we're doing. I think we need to be engaging with India right now. I like I, I I think we need to have a robust foreign policy, and some of the stuff Vivek says I find concerning. So, and, and one example is to bring this back to Gaza. When Vivek says, "If you hit us, we will hit you back ten times harder," as his like first principle of action, mm-hmm. like first of all, do you believe that? And and can you believe that? And keep us out of wars, first of all, right? I but think Trump also, did. But then also, like I. I don't know that I do believe in that level of disproportionate response. Why? I, th- I think it, that if somebody attacks you, you do need to respond. But I don't know. And I don't think he probably literally means that. I think what he means is, is like you need to ha- you need to make sure it was not worth it for them and that they don't ever want to do it again. OK, this leads us you into know? our next question. So that concludes the NeverNikki.net advertisement for this podcast. Go to NeverNikki. .net. Okay, so then the next section that th- th- this is kind of directed towards me from from John, and I'll just read it and then I'll kind of give a response. I'm sure Nick, you have um, a response or something to say about this as well. It says, Andy, you made the reference slash analogy of someone punching um, the other in the face, and it um, and is it justified to punch back? First of all, I think biblically speaking, it is not justified as a follower of Christ. We should be advocating for peace and be seen as peacemakers and not being motivated by revenge. I do not see this conflict as getting punched and then swinging back and hitting their little sister, as Nick mentioned. I think a better analogy is getting punched and then coming back and punching them back as well as their sister, brother, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, etc. I do. Uh, it, I think he said, I do not believe it is a one-to-one ratio, as you, as you both have suggested. Is that justified? That is what is happening right now. He said, is that justified? That is what is happening right now. It is not a punch for a punch. Destroying entire neighborhoods, mosques, churches, hospitals, etc. is not punching back. I would argue it is taking a punch and turning it into something much, much more. The facts are there have been more journalists killed in Gaza than any war ever before. More than 50% of those killed in Gaza have been children, 70% if you count, if you also count women. 50% of the bombs used by Israel are dumb bombs and have very little control over the target, their target slash precision. I am by no means defending Hamas, but at what point is enough enough and um, and has no longer become self-defense? Okay, so like obviously there's – to me the first thing I think of is that you're, you're – there's a – you're – John, you are – there's uh, not collusion. What word am I looking for? You're 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 categorizing these things falsely. Like I, I'm not making a Christ, a theological Christian claim, and that when somebody as an individual Christian punches you in the face, your response needs to be to punch them back in the face. That's not what I'm saying. I, we're talking about geopolitics. We're talking about nations interacting with nations. We're talking about institutions. We're talking about militaries. We're not talking about the individual Christian ethic of uh, violence and of response to violence. And so I think that that's just a categorical error. And I, I think that what oftentimes I run into is, okay, so if I say on this podcast, hey, yeah, I think Israel is justified on a geopolitical level um, in in bombing the crap out of Hamas because of what they did to Israel. If I say that, people are like, oh, so therefore you believe that it's okay to punch somebody back when you punch them in, in the face. Um, and Jesus said, if somebody hits you in the face, you turn the other cheek or, or whatever, you have a peacemaker. It's like, well, yeah, Jesus was saying that to individuals, not to nation states. I, like th- that, that 
this is the, the scalable question again. Like, do I want to advocate for peace? Yes, but peace also requires justice. You can't create. You can't create peace without justice. And okay, so, so would so then you agree with the Black Lives Matter protesters who chants "No justice, no peace." No, ju- <laughs> in, in the sense that I agree with that. In the sense that if we were to, if if me and the Black Lives Matter people were both just choosing to not define justice and peace, then yes, on a on a on a ambiguous playing field. Yes, I agree with that. I think that once me and the Black Lives Matter people get into the definitions of what justice is and of what peace Mm -hmm. is, we're going to find stark differences because I'm a Christian and they aren't. And I think that the issue that I have with this comeback of like, okay, um, it's, we are giving an analogy of, okay, if somebody punches you and then you punch back and like, maybe he's, maybe he's right. Yeah. You punch me and then I punch your your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, or whatever, maybe that's what Israel is doing. I still think that's geopolitically justifiable, but I don't, I wouldn't say that Christians, individual Christians or churches, like if let's say High Point Church got into a theological argument with um, maybe City Church or something like that, I don't think that Nick should, like we should all go over there with pitchforks and kill people over in, in the other local church. I think that there's a, that there's a different, um, moral ethic that's 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 required on different levels of human existence whether that be the nation state or the the local level of the um oh my my mom is coming into the room with with my kid you got to get out of here we're doing the podcast um anyways that 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 this isn't okay let me can i make a bill argument for this for you then it sounds like what you're saying so so there's issues of scalability like is is being a government different than being a person yeah, and, and it is. is. I mean, to, to me, it absolutely. Right. I don't know how you can even make an argument. Like, I feel like it's apples to oranges. It's like, how can you possibly tell me that being a nation state is anything like being an individual person? That's yeah, let crazy. me let me give you like a small example. Okay, so let's say you're a Christian, and you become a police officer, mm-hmm. and somebody you try to arrest somebody, and they turn around and punch you in the face. Are you supposed to say, "Well, I'm a police officer, but I'm a Christian"? Mm-hmm. So as a Christian, I'm going to turn the other cheek. Or are you going to say, I'm a Christian. However, I, it's my responsibility because I took the role of the police officer and I swore this oath mm-hmm. that I can't just turn the other cheek. I need to respond as a police officer must in this context mm-hmm. and press even even violently now this arrest mm-hmm. to arrest this person. Right. Right. And I so I think I think that like as a Christian, you might say. I want to have, I'm not going to get as angry. I'm going to show what restraint I can, I'm gonna, but I'm going to arrest this guy because right. I'm a cop. And if I'm a cop, I have to make this arrest. Like that's literally my job. <coughs> um, on a larger scale, you could look at Romans 13, which John encouraged us to read in the second email. And I don't, I don't know exactly what verse maybe he, he meant to look at, but one of the verses in, in Romans 13, which is about government, it says, um, for he that is government is God's servant to do you good. That is the purpose of not, not the government doesn't always do you good. Mm-hmm. Paul wrote this in the time of Nero, right? Yeah, but right. The, the God-given purpose of government is to do you good as a citizen under mm-hmm. its rule, right? It says, "But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing." That is the servant of the government, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. bear the sword for nothing. That is, um, Paul is saying it's expected and even just and even the will of God. Mm-hmm. That the people who do evil under geopolitical regimes or governments mm-hmm. um, do have to face the discipline of the sword, the sword even being force, 
even military conflict, even unto death. Like this, the reference to the yeah. sword is a reference to death. This is uh, in battle and so on. Exactly a good point because I think that the the problem that a lot of young people or maybe that John is dealing with right now is the equivocation of of a moral ethic that is applied to the individual therefore has to be applied in every other institution and situation that exists on earth. And that's just, that's just a very generalized, I'm going to be honest, not really thought out kind of lazy moral ethic that the Bible doesn't. Okay. I, I, I I think I disagree with that Andy and here's why. Because in the lazy, yeah, because Christians have gone back and forth on this for 2000 years, trying to sort out exactly how you do this. Right. Like, and even in the gospel of Luke itself in chapter 21, right? So in chapter 21 in Luke's gospel, Jesus is like, I'm leaving. You need to make some provisions for yourself now. One of those is you need to carry a sword, even if you have to sell your cloak to buy a sword, right? And so they're like, oh, well, maybe we need 13 swords, right? And so Paul or Peter says, here's two swords, Lord. And Lord says, the Lord says, that's enough, right? And you're like, well, why, why is two swords enough, right? That doesn't sound like a lot, right? But it's enough for self-defense if they're together, right? And then later in the chapter, Jesus is getting arrested. Peter pulls out the sword and attacks somebody with it. And Jesus says, you shouldn't do that. I'm not leading a rebellion or an insurrection. What are you doing? Put the sword away. People who live by the sword, die by the sword. And you're like, wait a second, Jesus. You literally, I had, the reason I have the sword is because you told me to an get hour ago, yeah. you told me to have it with you and I, I'm going to need it. And that I should even sell my clothes to buy one if I need to. Mm-hmm. And now we have this moment where literally we need it. I've pulled it out. Now you're telling me I can't. Mm-hmm. Now, now I believe, see, I'm as a Christian who believes that the Bible is the word of God written and Luke intentionally put those passages together. <clears throat> I think you have to interpret those two passages as though they go together. Hmm. Right? That Peter is supposed to carry a sword and that he was wrong to use it there. Sure. Right? Now, you can argue, yes, and Peter also was not an agent of the government and what he was doing was morally wrong. Right. I think what Jesus thought was that kind of violence cannot be understood in the worldly categories in which he existed. And so his self-sacrifice was necessary to actually communicate the grace of God. Would, would, would Jesus be justified to take the sword himself yeah. and stab the, everybody and like cut off all their heads? Absolutely. I think that I think that would be just because he is the government of creation and he has the right to use the sword if he wishes to. He just right. doesn't wish to. Hmm. He's trying to redeem, redeem us. And so I think what John is grappling with, I think what we have to grapple with is there's a sense in which God does authorize the use of the sword. He authorizes us to use force in certain ways, mm-hmm. but the overwhelming ethic is that we're supposed to be peacemakers. And so we're supposed to be peacemakers unto our own martyrdom, not the martyrdom of others. And frankly, mm-hmm. Andy, that's what separates us from Muslims. Right. right. In Islam, historically, at least, my religion goes forward at the cost of your blood mm-hmm. in Christianity because of the belief in the grace of God and the actual peace. Yeah. Uh, my faith goes forward through my blood. No. Right? I, yeah. Right. Right. No, I, and I, that I, cannot get lost in the shuffle of what should be done geopolitically. Now, if you we believe Romans three, 13 applies to that, what it's saying is that governments have rights to take rights to take geopolitical actions. And you could argue from other passages of scripture, they are responsible to do so. I think governments are responsible to do so. And the agents of those governments. Right. My only argument was that what is applicable to the individual Christian isn't applicable to the, to the non-Christian state. And I would say it's not necessarily applicable. 
to the I, state? No, I mean, I would say it's absolute. How can how, what is? It, it, okay, okay. Do you think right, the United right, States right, government, it, for example, should retaliate in every case in which we are crossed by anyone? I think that there should be a degree of retaliation. There will naturally be a degree of retaliation. So in the in the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? If one of our U two planes was shot down by Russia, mm-hmm. and we could have retaliated. But it was so tense at that moment, it literally could have started a nuclear World War III. And Kennedy says, I'm not going to do it. By retaliation, you mean literal military retaliation. They shot down our plane. We're going to shoot down one of their one of their boats that's by Cuba. Right? We could have done that. I, My I, understanding I, is that did happen. We, one, we, one of our like spy planes that we flew over Russia to take pictures got shot down. Mm-hmm. And we did not literally retaliate mm-hmm. because Kennedy thought that it would bring a complete conflagration of the whole situation which would literally lead to world, nuclear world war three and so he yeah, didn't i mean retaliate. i can see i can see that yeah I, I mean i think i think that the right so you're saying as that an act of prudence that right yeah they're, they're, no well i can see that yes but i'm not saying i didn't mean to say so i, I was going to walk it back a little bit that that what is applicable to the individual yeah it isn't always applicable to the state but in but even though it's it's something still might be applicable from the individual to the state. It's not applicable in the same way because the state isn't a person. And so the state doesn't have a soul. The state doesn't have like the state is an entity. It's not a person. And so because it's an entity, the ethic, the moral ethic that the state engages in isn't on the same grounds and doesn't have the same, um, doesn't have the same uh, 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 depth or, um, not depth. I'm trying to think of the word. It doesn't have the same significance as it does on the personal level to, okay. to God. Like that, that God is, do you know what I'm saying here? You, sort of like, so when you say, when you say this statement, Jesus said to people about how we as believers in him, his disciples mm-hmm. should act mm-hmm. to take that and automatically apply it to a nation mm-hmm. is there's a big jump of logic there. Cause you're you taking be real careful about that. Yeah. Because right? I think what's happening when he says that to a group of people or to the individuals is that you have to look at, at the nature of the thing or the person that he's saying it to And that. And in, um, in the Correct. new Testament, it is the people, the people and what, and what is happening with the people, they have a soul and Christ is going to the cross to save that soul. That soul is of eternal significance. The, the, right. the steady state, the nation state is not, doesn't have a soul and is not of eternal significance. In the no, but its way. actions, like its actions in Gaza, has killed thousands and thousands uh, of people. It, it All of those are people made in God's people. image who have everlasting yes. souls. Yes, it affects the individual person, but the moral ethic at a deeper level is is f- that Christ is giving to the individual per- person is given to that individual person for the sake of regeneration and sanctification, and and that right that, and states should that, not get in the way of that by taking geopolitical actions that kill them unnecessarily. I'm saying states can't get in the way of that. It's impossible oh. for the state to get in the in, in the way of the, rege- the in the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing regeneratively and in, in, through sanctification in the individual. That the Why? individual Why do you is think rejecting that's impossible? The, the the individual is rejecting Christ on the basis of the, the, they're choosing to reject Christ. The state doesn't tell them. Yes, but they, the person if the person chooses to accept or reject Christ within the narrative of their life as they move through different life experiences. If you jump into their life as a geopolitical unit and kill them dead. 
Mm-hmm. There's whole swaths of their what could have been their story that are completely wiped out, in which they could have. Yeah, but you're not accepted or rejected they, Christ. You, you're no, not you telling me that it, when they die that, and they go to judgment, that God is going to be like, "Oh, I guess you're going to get into heaven because the state stepped in too early and you made the and you didn't follow me up until that point." Like you, you that's not true. They have they have all of. There's still a judgment. The wrath of God will still be poured out on the person whose life okay. was cut short by the state. Let me state. ask you this. Let me ask you a, a question that will I think bring more clarity. Do you think states can murder people that is that an action of culpability in the killing of another person i yeah can a state murder people i don't like that i don't because i absolutely think they can i don't even understand the question because a state is an entity not a person and it doesn't have motives individuals within a state has motives and those are the ones who are creating the decisions that the state is enacting so if you ask me if the state can can murder people i don't even know what that even means because the state isn't walking talking breathing and doesn't have a soul the state is made up of of a multitude of individual people who are making individual choices and decisions on the basis but, but, of maybe the law. But, okay, okay, if a police officer on. comes in here and arrests me, right? Mm-hmm. Right. He's an individual person, right? But what makes him, what gives him the right to come in here and arrest me? And the answer is because he's an agent of, of the, the state. state. Okay. So he's also in that moment, when he comes in his office, he is the state. He's all no, and if no, he kills no, no, me, no, 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 because prior to the prior to being an agent of the state, he is also made in the image of God. So, so, right, so but, maybe he shouldn't have killed me. Yeah, he should have done so as you. the agent of the state. So, who's, functionally, the reason that happened is because the state empowered and sanctioned it. Let me ask you this and chose it. Let me ask you what what do you think happens to that police officer who comes in and kills you when they die? Who who is held accountable for that sin? I think it's not the, the state. I think I think if it was wrong, well, I think other actors in the state could be held accountable for it. But I think also like you don't think no, that think guy states that's do get held police. accountable because I mean when you read the Bible, I mean I think I can't remember if it was John Jay or John Adams that said the reason why we have to have a just state is because states are not persons and they cannot be judged in eternity. Therefore, God judges them now. Human beings, judgment can wait till eternity because they will everlastingly exist and God can judge them then. The reason why the Bible has all these judgments of states in it, but not always people, is because you can't judge a state later because it ceases to exist. It's not an everlasting entity. Right, but, but there are multitude of states that aren't. That there are multitude of states in the Old Testament that are engaging in horrific, evil, pagan practices that aren't being judged and don't get judged. Yeah, but in Ezekiel twenty-eight, the which is which is focuses on the damning judgment that God puts on the rulers of nations. Mm-hmm. It focuses on the fact that they terrify and subject others to violence and injustice. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that because it's talking about the individual. That is that that is that is the arbiter of the state's terror and the state's force. But the individual ruler is the person who will be held accountable for that because the act because what is set forth by the state is ultimately proceeding from this individual. But that doesn't mean that you might be able to make that case in Ezekiel twenty eight because the specific reference is to the leaders themselves. Right, but I think the leaders may be a metonymy in that case prophetically. However. In the Bible, there is a lot of judgment of nations. Assyria gets judged. Israel gets judged. Moab gets judged. So you're Edom telling me judged. that you think that the that the that God is judging the nation state as 
as an entity. Ra- yeah. uh, when I read that, I'm reading. I think we participate in a collective organism as well as being an individual organism. I get that. Yes. I get that. But when I when I read that judgment on the state or whatever in the Old Testament, I'm reading that as a judgment on the individuals that make up the state because. And, and so that might be that all of the people within that state, uh, they consume a, the, a similar type of judgment, but it's being the judgments being poured out on all of the individuals who are made making up the state because a state doesn't exist without. Yeah, the individual. I mean, you could I think you could say that. I mean, the state, the state I, is all the individuals. Yeah. When, but when but you there are people that within question. the realm of the state that are subjected to the judgment. So Daniel was a faithful man of God. But when when Judah went into exile. Daniel went with him because he was there. He was a righteous man. He went and lived his life in Babylon because he was exiled because God judged the nation of Judah for Judah's collective unfaithfulness. Sure. But I, yeah, yes, I, yes. And they each got it. I guess I and just so have a Israel hard time could engage in mod, the modern state of Israel can engage in collective. I mean, think about this. You've said you, a number of times, the Palestinians, mm-hmm. Hamas, yeah. Right. Like, I mean, there those are, are categories. Like, those are categories. Those are proper noun. That, those are proper nouns that are meant to give definition to groups of people that believe and engage in the same sort of practice that are all moving in a particular sort of direction. But those are all made up of individual people in which I think God judges on the basis of their individual sins that mm-hmm. ultimately partake that ultimately come together in the sins of the entire group. But I think that primarily and firstly, the sins of the individual is always judged before the sins of the group because the sins of the group don't exist without the individual sins of the, of the, of the persons within the group. And so I have a hard time when you say, sure. if the, it, if the state is murdering, does a state murder somebody? I say, I don't, it, if, if by state you mean individual persons that make up that state and their goal as an entity, Like then yes, but if you're saying that we can say that the that the state of Germany uh, murdered the Jews, I would say yes and no because if you're if the state of Germany is the individuals who murdered the Jews in the Holocaust, then yes, and those individuals ought to be held accountable, in which they were in Nuremberg. That they, they why did they? They they brought forth the evidence in Nuremberg. I, I know I agree with that. When you say yes and no, I agree with that. But here's the thing: in Nuremberg, we could hang an individual man who was a Nazi who was part of the Final Solution. However, in the Second World War, we actually had to attack Germany. Right, right, and, and there and were probably a lot, probably a lot of good people in Germany yes. that we wouldn't have wanted to attack <laughs> because individually they had not committed those same sins, right. but they died in the trenches all the same because yeah, but but they were part of the about, collective organism of Germany. What do you think about being a part of the collective organism in that, like, in that? Um, now, I'm not saying this is the case for everybody who was in Germany during World War II, but a lot of those people were complicit in the uprising of Hitler and in the in the begin in the start yeah. of World War II. Okay, and, and like, that, I'm not. It's an individual person. No, no. Person I think that is actually one of the hardest questions that I know of. No, I know. Is, I don't. I don't. How have do you a real imagine? Because if if you're a complete individualist and none of us have any responsibility to anybody else. Then the answer is that. they weren't complicit, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you're like a complete collectivist, I think that they're, you lose the individual and individual mm-hmm. responsibility. But then right. the question is, okay, to what extent is was the average German complicit in the Nazi rise? To what extent right. am I complicit in modern racism? To what extent is blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I think those questions functionally have are impossible to answer. I agree. I but agree. But philosophically, they have an answer. 
or, or and that's what haunts me or, or political like there like, has like, to be some sort of judgment that is that is taken yeah. on, on like if, you, on if the, i sat down with the lord Germany. and the lord could literally think through every situation in every interrelationship of every one of those dynamics and i said lord on a scale to one of one to 27 zillion <laughs> to what extent am i responsible for modern racism and to every extent it does exist in its present shape and structure and based on the positive like things I could have done and the negative things I did do. And he might be like, well, it's a nine. It's a 27. <laughs> like, yeah. Really low. Or it could be like 13 million or it could be like, I, and, I, and I honestly, Andy, I don't know the answer to that question. No, and that I, frankly, I, I think it's, I think it should haunt us all a little bit. The I extent agree to which that. we are part of like the corporate problems around us mm-hmm. to what extent they're not our fault. Because like there are there are situations in the Bible where there are people who are not participating in something, mm-hmm. and God doesn't count them as guilty. Mm-hmm. So seven thousand people in Israel don't bow the knee to Baal, and God counts every one of them, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, like there are other situations in which, like all of all of the nation goes into exile, whether they were faithful or not, mm-hmm. and like and the way God God does count some people as complicit in yep. something, even though they didn't literally do it, and. I think that that issue is really difficult and no, I think it's politically I, I'm fraud. Not I think it's all it. kinds of perverse incentives yeah. and I, right. I don't think we probably should even try to answer it. No. And I'm not saying that as a gotcha question. I was just saying like, like, uh, like if you think about Joe Schmo in, in Germany in 1940, who right. just had a farm. 40, should everybody have behaved miles. like Bonhoeffer? Like, does he need to get hanged? Yeah. And right. I, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not saying I have the answer. I don't have the answer for that. I don't know if that person should get hanged or not. My, my, like, like emotionally, I say absolutely not. And maybe even morally, I say absolutely not. But on the other hand, I don't know what Joe Schmo had to do with the political. Maybe he voted in a particular. Maybe he, I don't know how their right. their stuff. I well, think in they God, had elections, I mean, but. in theory, there are almost infinite number of penalties between eternal death and nothing. Yeah. Right. Like you could just be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> or be shamed among a group of people. Yeah. For being a coward. Or something, right? Like it may be that it may be that if God, I talk to God about my behavior in America in this period of time, that God might say, "No, Nick, you did you did what you could. You did exactly what you should have. You used your voice in the ways you could." And, and you, or He might be like, "You know, you should have been ashamed of yourself. You should yeah. have stood up for X, and you just didn't." Sure. And like, no, you didn't burn that down, and you, maybe you didn't destroy that thing, but you should have done something. You should have done X, Y, Z, and you didn't do that, right? Yeah. And it doesn't mean He would have to eternally damn me for it. Mm-hmm. But he could condemn my choice to act or not act as an objective moral fact. And right. that would affect me personally. And it, it might be that like I didn't have some some kind of treasure in heaven. I didn't have some kind of positive eternal relationship. I wasn't honored in heaven with Christ in that way for what I did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. I think there's all kinds of things like that 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 could be real. Or or I could just deserve honor whether I get it or not. Right. I would rather deserve honor that I didn't get than deserve approbation I don't receive. No, you know, I get that. I think the point that I that I'm really trying to hit home though on the like the 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 moral responsibilities for individuals versus states or versus nations is that I have seen and we know from World War II and World War One especially the complicit nature of the individual to the regime and that to me, when you get into these situations where the regime is telling you to do something that is wrong or the regime is engaging in something that is wrong hierarchically that it's passed down to you, that as a Christian, 
individually, when I'm up against the regime or the city state, if, if, if they start telling me you have to do X or, or we're going to kill you, then I'm taking the bullet. And I think that that's because there's an inherent, uh, there's an inherent difference between the nature between my nature as it relates to the as it relates to the state and as it relates to God, first and that was and the, I mean that was the that was the original church split, Andy. I don't know if you know this about the church original history, church what the original church split was over that oh, question. Split okay. It was called the Donatist controversy. This, what year? This I mean like real early like before Augustine. Okay. And so like there was this there was this persecution in the Roman Empire. Where you had to burn incense to Caesar or be killed if you were reasonably thought to be a Christian, hmm. and there were a lot of people who burned incense to Hit to down to Hitler to to the <laughs> Caesar, What's the and the, or they gave up the Christian writings, or right. they gave up the identity or the whereabouts of the Christian bishop or pastor, hmm. and um and then the persecution ended permanently in the Edict of Toleration, and so then all these people who had believed in Jesus but then burned incense to Caesar wanted to come back into the church. And they were like, no, you can't come. And and a lot of Christians were like, they like had burn marks on their face or their daughter had been killed. Right. And sometimes because these people had like confessed or given information right. or the Bible that, that was read in church was now ashes and right. it would take years to copy one down again. Right? right. And they'd lost the scriptures for their lifetime. And these people had the gall to be like, I, I'm sorry, I, I failed. My courage failed. Can I still be saved? And Augustine became famous for saying, yes, you have to receive them back. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. There's a big difference there, though. That uh, were these people repentant of what they had done? I think so. Okay, if they're repentant, then I agree with Augustine. If I, don't know repentant, if they, I don't know that they were sure that they would act differently if it happened again. Maybe not, but I think you have to take repentance as it comes and you have to forgive, like Christ said seven times, that you have to forgive over and over again. I don't disagree with mm -hmm. that, but I think that that my point as a Protestant evangelical is my allegiance ultimately lies at the individual level to my relationship with God and my convictions towards Christ, not to my relationship to the state. And so if the state is, if the state as made up by individuals hierarchically is, is, is telling me to do something that I don't believe is something that God wants me to do, I can't do the thing that the state requires of me and I, and I won't do it. I would rather die than to do what the state tells me to do. Dude, because, I agree with that. So I'm just I mean, saying, I think, I think, I think John and Peter are clearly on your side. I mean, John in the Bible. Okay. The, the Apostle John and the, the Apostle Peter are clearly on your side in mm -hmm. Acts 4, right? Where they're like, you can't talk about Jesus. And they're like, look, decide for yourself whether I'm going to obey you or God. He, mm -hmm. Okay. There's, I think there's two issues here. One that John, the writer of the email here is bringing up. Sure. And another cognate one, right? One is, it's a different thing to say, <laughs> I wish I could just not be part of my state. So like as an American right now, I'm not super thrilled with what's going on in America right now. In some ways <laughs> yeah, I, I love the country yeah. and in some ways I really don't like it. And mm. if you ask me, Nick, would you like to live in America, but not really be counted with the American stuff right now? There's part of me that would be like to be like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, right, I don't really right. want to be counted as this yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the problem is, as far as I can tell is that's actually not a choice that's available to me. Right. Just like I can't choose to not be in my family. There are some relationships I don't choose and I can't reject. So yeah. I am an American, right? And so the question is, how do I live out that Christian faith as an American in situations where 
they're questions of prudence or wisdom or morality, but they're not issues of like God has told me to do A and the state's telling me to do B. Right. Do you think that so, the answer so is So like, like should I be against getting more oil out of the ground or should I be this kind of environmentalist or should I be right. for something because of global warming? Should I be against Trump? Should I be against Biden? Should I be – like in all these kinds of questions, those aren't questions of, well, you'll have to decide if I obey God or man, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think with some questions, like I would put abortion probably in this category. If right. somebody's like, look, you've got to be for abortion, I'd be like, sorry, I, I, I literally cannot do that. Mm-hmm. But even like in a draft, if I was called up by the US military to fight, I don't know if I could say, well, I'm going to obey God and not do it. Or do it. I mean, yeah, in that case, it would be yeah. it would be an issue of my identification with my nation mm-hmm. in ways that were complex that I don't even understand entirely. And in some ways, I I I don't know what God wants me to do. That's what I've thought about that. Like, if there was a draft, if I would be a part of that, and I I have to. I think it would be a case by case situation. I, I think I think it would be a case by case thing. It depends on what we're. But I don't think that'll functionally to- work because once you join up. You ha- you were in a chain of command, and you now you're sent out to fight. And oh no no no! By no, the no, same no. logic, you'd want to fight on a case by case basis, and you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, no. I mean, I would. You can't would work your way through field case. targets and say I'm going to shoot this guy and not that guy. Like, no, I wouldn't do that. I would I, if I was in, I'd be in. But if I was out, I'd be out. like. I, I think it's so comp- complicated because the the idea that you're the, that the Christian moral ethic that applies to the human being, the human individual. Um, how, how does that how does that relate with how does that confront the thing like you're just talking about the, the yeah, idea that I, you've gone to war but I, there's there's a difference in war between murder and killing and I think a lot of that has to I do agree. with the intent and and with the what's happening in in your mind and in your heart if I'm going after the yes but the it Germans, also has to do with circumstances and information you don't have as a soldier right but if but at the very least based off of my knowledge because like, I don't know if I don't know if do you think we'll be judged. Uh, on the basis of like the geopolitical scale at which we're doing things, like if I'm fighting, that's what I don't know. I, I don't, don't know? think I don't think we'll be judged irrationally know, on it. I think that there will be grace, yeah. but like I don't think we can know. I, I mean, I think we. I, I don't. I know. I don't think we'll be damned on the basis of it. But I, I mean, I can't be sure. Yeah, but think about when it says like for those whom um, is g- given much, much is required. Don't you think that that's if I'm gonna if I extrapolate from that a little bit and I say that like okay, let's apply that that principle to other things. If I say that those wh- whom th- that there's some sort of scalable expectation and responsibility that got that, that the Bible is, is yes. setting out clearly there that there's yes, a, I absolutely agree. I've that, given yes. you this much. Now you're required. You have a, you have a responsibility that it, it, it at the very I, least equates yeah. to what you've been given. I do think judgment is think relative that that, to your stewardship. Yeah. Don't you think that that could potentially apply to something like it being in, in you know, a war against somebody else and the individual, yeah. what, what is scalable to that particular situation as it relates to your ability to understand what's happening around you um, as a human being. So God, God is measuring the consciousness and the situation and your ability to recognize where you are, who you're, what you're doing and who you're obeying and not obeying and what steps you're taking. Um, I, yes, I have I a do. hard time thinking that like that all of the Germans, I don't know about this, that all of the Germans are going to be held accountable for the sins of Hitler, but they're certainly going to be held accountable for their own sins as it relates to the people that they themselves. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I think know. that they, I think that it, to some extent, you might, it may be true that all Germans alive in the 30s that were adults, their actions will be judged negatively at varying levels of relative yeah. significance. Right. I don't think that means they'll all be damned. 
I, I think that God can There's say, Christian you food. should have, you, you could have spoken up and you didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and this is why I think the, the Christian concept of grace is so important is yeah, when Jesus yeah. dies for our sins. We're not talking about like that. You littered, like we're talking about the fact <laughs> yeah. that you like may have had to make a terrible choice to sign up with your military or not. And because you didn't sign up with your military, somebody else died or some other group of people died because you didn't fight the way you should have, or you did sign up. You ended up doing something very unjust that you didn't even realize, but you ended up murdering a bunch of people. Like I remember sitting down with a guy who was an F-22 pilot and he said he flew a mission. I don't know if I mentioned this before on the podcast. He was flying a mission and there were when, three wait, major when, terror targets. When, hmm? when, when was this time period? This is a few years ago. They were so flying this is a like a couple of years ago. Yeah, this is a few years ago. I think it was before we had left Afghanistan. And he was flying uh, an F-22. He had a smart bomb. Mm. And guys on the ground had determined three heat signatures on one side of a house that were high-value terror units, right? And the other side of a house was a 16-year-old girl, right? He got the statement from command to drop the bomb, to hit the the corner of the house where the terrorists were. They knew when he dropped the bomb that there was a percentage chance this girl was going to die, right? So he drops the bomb, hits perfectly on the target, kills the three guys, cuts the girl in half, okay? Wow. this com- As far as we know, completely innocent Afghani girl just mm. is mur- killed, right? Yeah. And so this guy was like talking to me as a pastor. He's like, Nick, how can I do this work? Like, I mean, I killed this girl. Mm. And I was like, well, one didn't you know this was the work when you signed up for it? Mm-hmm. And two, don't you believe someone has to make these sorts of decisions? That is the risk of killing this girl or this, even the certainty of killing that girl, knowing that these three terror targets have been responsible for the killing of thousands. And if you don't take your opportunity now could again, be responsible for the killing of thousands. Somebody has to make these terrible decisions. Mm-hmm. And some of what the blood of Christ purchases is you're not necessarily morally better for not making those decisions. Yeah. For doing, and if nothing. you're the person who yeah. makes those decisions, you may make horrible decisions that lead to terrible outcomes, even making those decisions in good faith. And you are in some sense, morally responsible for them. And you need a great atonement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. And that's if you're not even trying to be a murderer. Right. Right. I agree a hundred percent. And I'm not saying by the way that, that this man murdered this woman. I'm just saying, her the, death the, as a as collateral yeah. damage in that particular moment is at least horrifically regrettable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's haunting, and I think that it, it's. I agree with that. I think it's really hard for people, even hard for me. Obviously, growing up, we. I mean, you in a way, but you you've had more conflict. And growing up in a time where I've never had to confront the realities of war in the same way that the people in World War II did. You know, I grew up in nine eleven, and and when I was a little kid, and then you know we've had some conflicts here and there, but nothing to that massive scale. Um, in which w- there's never been a situation in my life where I've been like, oh, if if we don't win this. It, it it's over like it's it, everything that that i know is is over and and so yeah. i i don't even i feel almost a little bit like stupid trying to even talk about it because i've never faced it like you know i have great yeah. grandparents who were in the war they were in the world world war Two, yeah. and they literally experienced it and i think that there are situations where i can sit here and i can talk theoretically about what should happen morally and ethically but once that thing is in front of my face, I don't know what the frick decision I'll make. Like I, I, I've thought about it. Like what happens if we get into a World War Three? Do do I fight or do I not? Like 
I, I don't know. Yeah, there I are situations. Know. So I had, a, I had a seminary professor before we move on to John's question about when is enough enough. I had a seminary professor who said in my Christian ethics class, he said, if you believe the whole Bible, there is no situation where there isn't a right ethical decision, right? You can, huh. you can do the right thing in any circumstance. Right. And that's why we study the Bible so carefully, right? Mm-hmm. And the other theology professors who, instead of having been trained in New Testament, they'd been trained in philosophy. They were like, that is such bullcrap. Oh, really? There are so many human situations in which there is no good action. Every action available to you is would biblically be considered Some variation sin. of sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Selfishness, so, arrogance, pride, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so like imagine a woman running counterterrorism. She's working with an Arab asset. Hmm. Um, in order to earn his trust, she recognizes she has to sleep with him, right? If she doesn't do it, she's pretty sure her mission is going to fail. She has to make a calculation, right? There's hundreds of people's lives on the line in the village that the operation is going to happen. And if this asset doesn't come through, right? She's a Christian woman. Does she, she and she's married in the states to a husband, hmm. right? Does she sleep with this guy to connect properly with that asset to run her mission so she can save the hundreds of people in that village and get the terrorists that are there so that they won't kill anybody in America and so they won't kill anybody in this village in Afghanistan? Or does she, as a Christian, quote, have to find another way, even if it means the failure of the mission, the endangering of the other people in her unit, the loss of the, and so on, right? Do you think, I've literally sat down with, I've literally had pastoral discussions with people in the inner city, people who like, um, had killed two or three people and they want to know what, what, should they ever turn themselves in? What do do they do with these gang relationships that they have? Like, Mm. like, like you get to a certain strata of society in certain contexts and it's like, everything's a sin. Like, like everything and not just right. a little sin, but like a really morally consequential sense in which people live and die and misuse their sexuality and so on. Right. And until like, like I'm not saying it, it makes morality different. It doesn't. It makes but it you, more your, your morality had better be ready to make decisions when there isn't a quote moral choice. You have to have some discernment. But I, my question about that situation with the woman having sex with another person that's not her husband, I think that the the issue that I run in with that, and not just that particularly, but I think like the the problem that I think about is the 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 like trans the like tran what transcendental is that a word? Uh-huh. What does that mean? I, I'm transcendental. What does that mean? It means something that transcends the natural. Yeah, kind of like uh, yeah transcendental. Reality. Yeah, yeah. The transcendental nature of of the truth that you that I think Jesus kind of taught that that okay, or the truth or the good that if the woman goes through like t- the two wrongs don't make a right thing. You know, let's say she says, no, I I am faithful to my husband. I know that what if I go through and I have sex with this guy. And, you know, that is that is not being faithful to the immediate relationship that God has placed into my life. Um, And it's it's a sin like her sin will be having sex outside of marriage. Her sin, if she chooses not to have that sex with that guy and goes back home to America, her sin is not the death of the 400 people in that village. Mm -hmm. That's the sin of the individual that she chose not to have sex with. Now, like, 
Is that a horrific reality? Yes, but I don't think that God will judge her for not having. I, I can't imagine God's going to judge her for choosing the ethical, good, moral thing. And I don't think that God can't bring good about that situation, regardless. But I think that more bad is going to come through the situation in which that in which like she has sex and th- these people get saved. I, like I think more evil is going to come through the situation of the Christian doing what is what is morally absolutely and completely wrong according to conscience and God's word then her ignoring like then her doing the right thing and going back home there's like Maybe. some tra- there's some like deeper uh, reality to the truth that it like okay let me give you like a different like more morally simple example okay so in the Vietnam War it was not uncommon if the Viet Cong were in a particular village to send <coughs> out a seven or eight year old kid with an AK-47 oh, yeah, I know, I know. if Americans walked into a village Jeez. so that Gosh. um it would be like kind of like a decoy right uh-huh. now. If you didn't shoot the kid, he would shoot at you and maybe kill you or one of your friends. If you did shoot the kid, you're killing a kid that doesn't even really understand what he's doing. Not really. Right. And on some level you wouldn't say is fully morally responsible for what he does yet. You're going to kill him. Right. I think the now, intent thing matters here because in sex, like, I don't know, man, like, I don't know if she's like, does she got to get aroused? Does she have to like really get into this thing sexually? Her intent has to be to like give herself to this man in sexual. Are you talking about the last example? Yeah. Compared to this one in which the, 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 the person who might have to shoot the child, the intent is on killing the child for military reason, not for murder. And not the intent isn't, I hate this kid. I want to murder this kid and I hate their guts that, that that's a hateful murderous intent compared to a killing military intent as as a, as opposed to the sexual intent of a woman towards another but it, man it's still a terrible moral moral conundrum right like, i'm not this, disagreeing this is, a with chi- that. this is a child that doesn't really deserve to die Horrific. but that it's has evil. to be killed yeah. so that someone else isn't killed who also doesn't deserve to die but god judges the, the and heart that, and somebody who isn't even on the field made that happen and that's the person who's actually morally culpable so you who, end up who, shooting who's this, morally culpable like the Viet Cong who put the gun in the kid's hand and like yeah, 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 somehow yeah. manipulate him to go out and do this yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah for sure does that for make sure. sense so yeah. like so I, I think that like some of these like morally conundrum you have to believe in those to believe that Israel could prosecute a war against Hamas you yeah. got to believe that you can yeah. make terrible decisions because the Israeli army is going to kill yeah. people who may not be innocent but who are civilians right they're not combatants to quote um right. What was the show with Nathan Fillion where he was like the cosmic cowboy kid that everybody loved that they canceled after two seasons or one a season? A cosmic cowboy? It was like they made the movie Serendipity. I can't, I can't remember the show. But anyway, he's, oh. he said to this other guy, he's like this guy he took on his crew, and Nathan Fillion's character, they said to Nathan Fillion's character, are you going to are you gonna kill me? Hmm. Like, are you gonna, and he's like, listen, if I ever kill you, you'll be awake, facing me, and pointing <laughs> a weapon at me. Yeah. Right? He's like, he, because there was this idea that like he was going to be noble about him if he killed him, right? Yeah. When you go into a place like Gaza, right, where the operational approach of Hamas is to use human shields, right, mm-hmm. um, there will be very terrible, like, moral actions that are necessary for any positive result. And you have to believe that's possible to do rightly. The question I think John, the John that wrote this essay is asking, and this is the same question I had for Ben Shapiro. I didn't get a chance to ask, but but it was a question I formulated if I got a chance. It was when this, is enough enough? When is enough enough? Yeah, like, will you kill everybody in Gaza to save future Jewish kids? Is that morally right? Is like, it, is there is there a point where the collateral damage is too much collateral? The collateral becomes right. more than the purpose. Let me try this answer 
and I don't know if this is where I'm at, but this is this is what I would say right now is I think what Israel is responding to is the intent of Hamas, not to the actions of Hamas, that that Israel is saying enough is en- like enough is enough. Like to, to the question of when is enough enough, they're saying to Hamas, once you once you recognize that the nation state of Israel is what it is and don't try to obliterate the entire thing and kill everybody in it like Israel or Hamas's intent is to take out the entirety of Israel. And so Israel is responding to the intent of Hamas, not necessarily to the actions of Hamas and what they did uh, in, in bombing Israel. And so in that in that sense, I, I look at that and I say, I think their their response is at least proportionate to the intent of Hamas, given that Hamas's vocal uh, goal that they've told to everybody is that they want to get rid of the entire nation state of Israel. That if that's the case, which it is because that's what they've said, then I, I think that it's okay for, I think that, the, I think that the, the response is, is okay. I don't know. I, I think, I think that Israel's response is, at the very least, proportional to the intent of Hamas. Proportion to the intent, intent of Hamas. Yeah, to the intent. I think they're, I, mean, they're, I, I mean, don't think they're responding to the, literally what happened. They're responding to the but intent. Do you think it is a just military response to respond by action to the to intent, intent of another group? Yes, because I mean, I mean, on some int- level, that is the nature of this conflict. Israel, for the most part, has not done that. Right? I do think so for because the most part, Israel has tried to be extremely measured. Yeah. And not reactive, and I think some of the things that some of the one of the reasons why I mean my understanding well, right now is that the latest popularity poll, poll for Bibi Netanyahu in Israel was fifteen percent. Yeah, in that like this the normal Israeli person right now is not thrilled with how Netanyahu is like adjudicating or executing this campaign hmm. um, because they think it's gonna it's it was vi- it's violent enough in a way that's unhelpful. For their future in the world, yeah, I don't know how much that's going to make them less safe. And it's going to. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know how much that's it's just propaganda, though. I, I don't I know. Neither. People are so emotionally. I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think that it is justified. I think that responding to intent is justifiable if, if it is in fact a response, not a, not a instigation. So, like the fact that Israel is responding to Hamas bombing them and saying, "Okay, we're going to respond to your to you bombing us." And the intent behind that, which was to get rid of Israel, um, we're going to respond to all of that as a totality and we're going to respond totally to that. It would be different than if Israel one day woke up and just started bombing the living crap out of Hamas and everybody, you know, out of the Palestinians just because they didn't like them. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. had, I think that the fact that it's a response and it's a response proportionate to the intent of Israel to me justifies some of the acts that, that Israel is taking. Um, Again, for John and for people listening, I don't think it's good that children and women are dying. I think that's horrible. I think it's good that anybody's dying. I think that's, that's disgusting and it's a result of sin in this world but if you're going to ask me uh, what is a when is enough enough i would say that question needs to first be answered by the palestinian before it's answered by the israeli because the palestinian was the instigator so when they chose to go in and with the in with the intent of obliterating the entire state of israel they had set the grounds for enough is enough when one of these two entities are obliterated as that and so Israel yeah. doesn't need to go that far. They don't have to, but it's justifiable for them, 
I, I think it's justifiable for them to go that far if they choose to, if they choose so. Yeah, I, I, I struggle with the intractability of the problem, right? I mean, Barry Weiss from the Free Press yeah, she's said good. in an interview recently who, who said, look, I just don't think that – I think that the way you deal with a population that doesn't like you is you give them something to lose. You like give them economic opportunity. You, you care for them and so on. And Weiss's response to that was she was like, you mean like Bibi Netanyahu's policy for the 15 to 20 years preceding this campaign? Yeah. Right. Because she's like, that's basically that was the plan. Right. Like the poor millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars into Gaza to give it infrastructure, Mm -hmm. piping water and all these kinds of things and to do stuff to make life better for the Palestinian people. And Hamas dismantled it. Right. Still radicalized them and put into their heads that we need to kill the Jews. Right. Like and, and so like it's a little bit like the whole Jesus saying, you know, that John the Baptist came singing a funeral song and I'm like a wedding song and you don't want to dance and you don't want to cry. Like, yeah. like nothing is good enough for you people. Right. And so on one level you can sit back and say, well, here's what Israel should do. But the thing is, is like Israel has been freaking doing a bunch of that stuff for a long time. Like they have, they have offered two state solutions. They have given enormous amounts of aid. They like, they give Jordan two or three times as much water as their treaty says they have to. So that Jordan can use it for massive irrigation stuff to like grow dates in the desert and make lots of money and like actually build up their economy. They Hmm. have not retaliated in most military situations. They allow Hamas to shoot missiles and missiles and missiles and missiles and missiles at their kids and they shoot down as many as they can. And they generally don't retaliate Mm -hmm. in any kind of disproportionate way. Like Mm -hmm. they have done financial infrastructure. They have done like retaliative attacks. They, I mean, like they have, I mean, like, like, what are they supposed to do? Like, and, and when I, if I see this argument between people or a fight between people, the person who is Israel is just not the person who I'm going to be like, you're the problem here. Right? Yeah, I, that's I agree with that. I think that's the that's the real problem. And I think that the issue that a lot of left leaning people, liberals and young people have is they don't there's the some for some reason, there's a blockage in their understanding of um, intent and, and as it relates to justice that that Hamas has never, ever, ever, ever given an indication that they want to see a healthy state of Israel existing in coexistence in peace yeah. with themselves. That has never yeah. been the case. They they explicitly tell you the exact opposite, and they, for some odd reason, liberals and young people they just say, like they they ignore that as a fact. That's just not. They apparently that just doesn't exist. That, that they didn't. They yeah. they act like that was never said. They act like that's not the goal. That that's not the purpose. And then they get angry at Israel for like you say trying everything they possibly can and nothing working because the uh, the uh, bottom line here is that Hamas hates Jews they're they're racist and they want the the eradication of the state of Israel they yeah. want it gone and off the face of the planet of the earth they want those people dead and so yeah. at the end of the day you can't you can't nego- like like Kanye West says and probably other people you can't negotiate with terrorists i think that's what Kanye West says i don't know if that's him but a he, number of people have said that have said that I, I think i've heard Kanye say that um and he said it because other people people have said but you can't negotiate with terrorists because yeah. the, the ultimate goal I, I, of the terrorists is to get rid of you not to negotiate a peaceful I, lifestyle i think i've said this on this podcast before but there there is this story from the reagan administration where we sent over whoever was our diplomat to russia at the time the ussr and he gets the ussr and he's dealing with a list of demands from the us the government of russia right and you know he can't do the he obviously can't do the list and whatever and he, he decides to take a different approach and he says listen let me ask you a question. What if I said to you, the United States was willing 
to do this whole list of demands. Hmm. Like there's 20 demands that the US are demands from the United States. None of them are just, he, you know, but he's like, what if we did all 20 of these? What would happen then? Hmm. And the story is that the Russian consular looked at him kind of with kind of a quizzical look and he said, well, you'd get our next list of demands. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And like, th- this is the problem with trying to negotiate with terrorists or totalitarians or yeah. people who hate you or people right. who don't think your existence is legitimate or your way of life is legitimate yeah. is you fulfill all their commands and you're just going to get another list of command demands. Like, you, like there's nothing you can do about it. Now the pro- my, pro- so the, the same Barry Weiss, who I liked her argument on that. One of the, the arguments you hear from, from pro Jewish people is that there's like a hundred, like, I don't know, 50 or something quote, Christian majority countries. There's 27 or so. I don't remember the exact number of Arab dominated countries. And there is one Jewish majority country in the world. Hmm. And the existence of that country is necessary because of what it's like to be a Jew on planet earth. Now, I actually agree that that is it is necessary that there be a Jewish nation. However, I think we need to recognize that that is a different kind of argument. That is actually a pragmatic argument, right? Sure. You can't say that the Jewish people deserve to have the land of Israel because there has to be a Jewish nation, right? The, our need for a Jewish nation, we could give them part of Alberta. Like the Jewish nation could technically therefore then be anywhere if that was necessary, sure. right? Sure. But um, it is true, however, I mean, some people don't know this. Most of the Jews that escaped Germany on boats and got to America in the early part of World War II got sent back. Mm. And many of them died in gas chambers. When I was at Oswego State University for my undergrad, one of their claims to fame was that there was an old military fort there from the 1700s. And when a boat showed up with a thousand Jews on it, just before the Second World War, they were supposed to be sent back, but local leaders were like, nope, we're going to repurpose this fort and we're going to house these thousand Jews there. And they were able to keep them there long enough to learn about the final solution and then nobody wanted to send them back. And those Jews got repropriated in America. But nice. that was considered such a win for the city of Oswego because most Jews were not received even by America. Yeah, and right. so Jews are like, look, we got to have a place. Because there are not just the Holocaust, but there were pogroms where Jewish people were attacked in their lands and had to flee numerous times in numerous places, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Arab lands. And now places like like Iraq used to have like 800,000 Iraqi Christians. They're all gone. Um, if you look at the city of Bethlehem, I think I talked about this at our last podcast, the the town of Bethlehem used to be majority Christian. Mm. And now there are virtually no Christians left there. And it's a Palestinian region and it's so anti-Christian, much less anti-Jew that the Christians were like, we have to get out of here. And so I I think for a lot of now, now I think that the, you know, the blood of Jesus and the, the human, the, the love of humanity can create, could create a brotherhood between (coughs) Jews and Arabs. But the real brotherhoods that we have seen between Jews and Arabs have come from people coming to Jesus Mm -hmm. and having a deeper transformational, more profound capacity for unity in the blood of Christ shed for all. That's the only thing that I know deep enough to actually make brothers and sisters out of these people. And if they won't become brothers and sisters under the one who is the Christ and the God overall, it may be like divorce. These people just can't live with each other. Yeah, And the way these things were handled throughout the whole of the ancient world before the liberal era was either you killed all of one of the groups Mm. Or you just separated them like children. Yeah. And I, I, frankly, I don't know what to do humanitarianly than to just look at these folks and say, look, if you won't accept 
the rule and reign of the true God, who is Jesus the Christ, who demands that you are brothers and that we tear down the dividing walls of hostility. All that's left is we just have to separate you kids for the foreseeable future. But if we're going to separate the Jews from anybody else, they have to have their own land. Yeah. And I, frankly, the land they have the most claim to on planet Earth is Israel. Right. And I want to say, too, that th- that I think one of the fundamental problems with the liberal perspective on all of this is that the liberal perspective in ignorance assumes that the rest of the world interacts with each other the way that liberals interact with each other. And that you do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. We've got our picket fences. We You stay in your yard. I'll stay in my yard. As long as I'm not hurting you, the, the idea of liberalism, do whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt me. And that's not how anybody else across the whole first So you mean world, liberal, like big L, like classical liberal? Yeah, that, that, whether that, you're a Republican or a Democrat, this idea yes. that we're all going to respect each other, yeah. we all basically have the same moral values, we right. all basically want the same yeah. way of life, right. we can all basically trust right. each other. That that that, that view, doesn't work in a society where it's view, not established. The, the most of the world does not hold to that. That is a that is a, right. if you think that people. It's why we couldn't nation build in Iraq or Afghanistan. Exactly. If you think that that's happening in the Middle East, you are an ignorant person, and and. and you are like probably somewhat racist. I mean, that, that is a very white uh, European Western idea of how civilization should act. And the fact that you can't recognize that the rest of the world doesn't act that way shows your ignorance, not your your uh, your tolerance or your. It's kind of like, like it's, the kid who grows up in a really good family. And just took in with their mother's milk this incredibly strong, good moral sense. They have a good work ethic. Mm-hmm. They tell the truth. Like they're good people because – and their parents were like devout Christians. Mm-hmm. And they like reject Christianity. They go to college. They take on all these like revolutionary ideals. and But they're still pretty good to people because it just kind of naturally comes out of them. Back your mic up a little bit because it's kind of like – Oh, sorry. And, yeah. and like and – they're, but they're like still – and they don't realize that it's not their – it's not their irreligion or their mm-hmm. like – revolutionary ideas that make this work. It's actually the philosophy they've rejected that's implantation still exists yeah, yeah, in their yeah. soul. Right. Right. It, and, and what that is in the quote white West, whatever that right. means is Christianity. Right. Christianity created this. Yeah. And it created this kind of like sense of the individual who belonged mm. to a just collective, this idea yeah, of right. the consent of the governed, right. like consent and justice and individual mm. rights and human mm. rights and like all of that stuff. Right. Comes out of Christianity, essentially. Right. So it drives me crazy when people say, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? I'm like, yeah, if we got along because we were Christians, we got along because we all agree. Society basically marinated in a general Christianity for a thousand years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Then, yeah. Oh, man. Right. And we could like, all just get along. But it's it, it, when yeah. you when you when you erase that from the society, we can't all just get along because that's the that was the fundamental makeup of the society. And that's yeah, I, I don't I don't. Yeah. Get if you if, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with Glenn Shrivener's books, uh, I forget what his last book was, but essentially his argument that like basically all the actually progressive values mm-hmm. that people are like are, feel so strongly about. He's mm-hmm. like all of those came from Christianity, too. Like yeah, you want to talk about equality, like all of that universal health care, like talk about the Catholics and Christians who built all the 
all of the hospitals, hospitals across the entire fuck, country. Yeah. Like like that, that that they did it not with government they money, but they did it with their own the freaking poor money. Have yeah, exactly. I.e., the people who didn't have it. They right. were the first people who believed in universal health care. Right. They just believed that they should do it themselves. And if you want to talk about adoption and abortion, talk about all the Christians who started all of the orphanages across the entire country to take in all of the children that nobody wanted and and raise them up to try to give them a good life, or any of the other institutions that were created outside of the federal government and the state government that were created by Christians raising money and building these things and pr- pulling their money together to help the poor and the widow and whoever it was, that all of your progressive ideas that you want to run through the state without any sort of moral backbone was that those were all those ideas are started in Christianity. All started in Christianity. All were made by Christians. All were were made by Christians until the state came in and basically I mean, they destroyed a lot of those institutions that were built by Christians, even the universities and things like that. But it's just I, it's a lack. Of, I think it's an ignorance of history for a lot of these people. There's just no understanding oh, yeah, there, of how I things mean, were built. I, there are people who think that the first libraries in Europe were constructed during the Enlightenment. That's I mean, it's the, like, the, Enlightenment, I mean the Enlightenment was constructed by the Christianity. The, the, yeah. the Enlightenment wasn't going to come by without people sitting in, in desks reading books all day long, which yeah. was who are, the universe. Who were all called monks for the <laughs> yeah. first thousand years yeah. of it. Yeah, it's, I, dude. I, and I, the only the, way you could get enough leisure to be a literary person when your society functioned at a subsistence level <clears throat> was for you to take a vow of poverty. Hmm. Only then could you have enough leisure to read and learn and be literate for the most part, unless you were already a rich person in the higher echelons of society. But like even the number of people it took to just copy down all the stuff so that anybody had anything to read mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. something mainly achieved by monks. Right. Right. And yeah. Right. So people just don't understand that. And, and, but we're going to find out soon enough because mm-hmm. it's eroding in all these Christians like nations that used to have mm-hmm. a generally Christianly organized. They, I mean, none of these nations in one sense were ever Christian. Like yeah, yeah, there's yeah. never been a society where like Jesus was truly Lord yeah. in every way all the time. Right. And even we didn't places need a that were the closest, yeah. like Calvin's Geneva, mm-hmm. they still had excesses and problems. Right. Oh yeah. But that's, there's a huge difference between that and the fact that as Christianity, as a general ethical and philosophical and religious entity, shapes a society it does profoundly change it for the good and that's why you can't yeah you can't build the hospitals and the organized and the institutions without the christian ethic and and morals behind it. it people will say well why can't we just have that run through the state well because the state doesn't believe that the widow and the orphan is to be cared for at the expense of all of my individual goods. That, that that's actually like that that right. was created in the Bible. That, that it says it in the Bible that that's the job of the Christian in the local church to to get rid. Like if you have to sell all of your crap to make sure that that baby who was just dropped off at the door in the freezing cold in the winter because the mom doesn't want her want the kid, make sure that that kid doesn't die on the doorsteps. Like you sell your crap and you make sure that it happens as an individual, not as an that that that's the job of the local church doing that together on the local level. But I think that that's that it can't happen because the same morals don't the state doesn't invent morals. The state pulls from other I don't know where the state something a multitude of places. I I think that way you said that is more simple than I would be comfortable completely affirming. But but yeah, once you once you bring charitas or love yeah. into the state. There are just way too many perverse influences of yeah, people yeah, who yeah, want to yeah. say, I'm loving, I'm the good guy. I, you know, like, and the, they'll move money around. And the fact is, is that loving people 
is way too expensive to pay somebody to do. Yeah. It has to be voluntary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And if you right, don't yeah, do it, it's like being a mother. Like you just saying there's nothing as cheap as a mother, right? <laughs> like yeah. the most important thing done on planet Earth is is not remunerated. Nobody pays you to be a mother. Like you have right. to do it out of love. But it is the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. And like Christian love is like that. You have to love people because you're just gonna. Yeah. That's the, your purpose on earth. Yeah. And if you believe that, then you can be a peacemaker, even in a place yeah. like Israel and Gaza or like John who wrote into us, like, mm-hmm. like he hit the energy that leads him to be a peacemaker in that place to seek, to understand the Palestinian or the Arab people he lives among and to try to do some good, to take some step in a good direction and to teach them as much as they can about how love can apply to these sorts of situations too. To apply the hospitality and love that they already have in their culture, for that to be ordered to the truth of Christ more deeply, and then to apply to areas where it's not being applied. That's not just true in Arab lands or in Israeli lands. Like I've talked to people from the Korean church, where in the Korean church, especially among some older leaders, like they believe in Jesus, they pray at Prayer Mountain, and they hate Japanese people with a burning passion. And some of the younger leaders are like, look, you got to give up that hatred of Japan. Like, yeah, they did terrible things to us in world war two. And like, it's in your living memory. It's not in mine, but it is in yours. But look, look, you, you have to forgive. Mm-hmm. And I know younger, I know people in their thirties from South Korea who are just like, those older leaders will say, we will never forgive the Japanese. Mm. And they're like, then I'm not honestly sure you, Jesus is your Lord. Mm. Maybe he will accept you in, in, in faith, but like, you are not following the master. Hmm. You are rejecting the master in this part of his path. Hmm. Whether that means you've rejected his whole path, that's up to him to judge. But I mean, Jesus, Jesus only gave us a couple of things that if we didn't believe them, we weren't saved. Hmm. And the most explicit one is if we don't forgive others, he will not forgive us. And our whole yeah. salvation is forgiveness. Right, right, right. Right. I want to answer this final thing and then we can be done. We have a couple minutes. And I think this will but he says, Andy, I do not understand how you could be so adamant that we should not be calling for a ceasefire. As Christians, I believe of course we should. We are not motivated motivated by revenge. We are motivated by freedom or fairness. Um, or we are, sorry, we are not motivated by revenge. We are not motivated by freedom or fairness. We should be motivated by love and by being peacemakers to those around us. Also the argument that Hamas was voted into government. Sure. That is true. But our Western, but our Western cultural understanding of that assumes that the people were free to vote as they choose. And Arab culture does not an individualistic culture. Elections are uh, elections here are nothing like what we have in the United States. There is a lot of corruption. There is fear of being killed if you don't if you vote against the Klan. Uh, to place blame on the civilians for voting Hamas into power is just not a rational argument because there are also many factors involved in this that are so different from what we view as a democratic process. Uh, my answer to that is. I call it for a ceasefire because I, I, I to, to your point, because or I call I don't call for a ceasefire because I don't think that it's irrational or uh, reasonable in any way, shape, or form. Like, like to, to what I was saying earlier, that the intent of Hamas. Wait, is you erratic. don't think it's rational, or you don't think it's wise? I don't like I, to, to I, say we should stop killing each other. That would be good. I think it's not rational. Oh no, you just think I, it's dumb. Like, no, it, like it, it's not going to work. No, I'm saying I don't call for it. So uh, I think ceasefires can be good. I don't call for a ceasefire because it's not rational to call for something that's never going to happen. 
It's not rational to call for something that if it's true, which it is true, that Hamas's goal is to get rid of Israel, a ceasefire isn't going to happen. If if we wanted a ceasefire to happen, which it seems like from the perspective of a lot of liberals is on is on the responsibility of Israel. If we wanted that to happen, then Hamas would have never shot missiles into Israel. There would have never been a conflict in the beginning if a ceasefire was on the table. So I'm not going to sit here and grandstand and virtue signal and say, I'm a good person because I'm calling for for a ceasefire. Look at me, look at me, when it's not even in the picture of what's going to happen. And it's absolutely crazy to think that Hamas is going to uh, ever be okay with a ceasefire. So let's just like that's what just if, a okay, millennial liberal Israel, talking point to make yourself feel virtuous and moral because are you, you saying, say are you saying John is virtue signaling? I don't know, maybe I don't know him personally, but I see that happening in the media all the time. I okay. see that happening. Yeah, because I don't. I wouldn't want to say John is doing that. I think uh, that the. I think uh, that let him. Let me ask you this: What if this? What if? Me, um, it, what, it if does Jewish, what if the Jewish army said, or what if maybe Netanyahu said, "Listen, <clears> release the hostages, and we will have a ceasefire for forty-eight hours." Sure, I don't know. Because I've heard a couple of people yeah. say, why is everybody calling for a ceasefire instead of saying, you release the hostages? Right. That'd be great. That that should be yeah. primary. That there are people being held hostage, probably being tortured. Yeah. After people were murdered. And that could be resolved. And if that was resolved, then maybe we could have a ceasefire and see right. what could be resolved in addition. <clears throat> right. Um, and I, right. And again, like I agree with that. But so would you be so would you be okay with a ceasefire on certain terms? Yeah, I think on Israel's terms, you just again, don't think a unilateral ceasefire is good military. <laughs> I don't policy. think it's gonna. I don't think. I also don't know if if Hamas is going to be interested, even if they say, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll release the hostages and we'll agree on these terms." I actually don't know if that'll have any long term effect. It, it, they, they've proven to have absolutely no long term effect on these people. They are wanting to kill every single Jewish person that they possibly can. And so it doesn't seem to me like that's a rational argument in, in, in the end and for the long game, uh, maybe for the short term, maybe that's something that could work. I'm, you know, I don't know, but I just don't, I don't, I just, I'm not going to sit here and say ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. Look at me. I'm a good Christian. Like, it, like the, we are motivated by love as Christians on the individual level. We're also not motivated by stupidity. They're, they're, like I'm not motivated by being completely ignorant and stupid about the fact that Hamas wants to murder every Jewish person that they possibly can. So that is not loving for me to say, yeah, let's call for a ceasefire and have a bunch of a bunch of innocent civilians in Israel be killed again by rockets fired from Hamas into into civilian crowds for no reason. Because I called for a ceasefire because I'm a good person. That's not love either. And on the other side, they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, that's what's happening from Israel to Hamas. But you're wrong. But but this this argument from from our guy, uh, John, is wrong in that you said earlier in this podcast that some 70 percent of the people are are pro Hamas in Palestine. That that it's not like they actually agree with Hamas's view politically. And so it's not I don't actually buy the thing that it's like if you don't vote for the clan, if you don't go against the clan, it's like regardless of if that's true or not, let's say you don't agree with what Hamas says and you just go go with the clan. Well, you're still complicit in in um, in in enforcing and. You're still in, you're still implicit in enforcing and bringing about a totalitarian regime through political means. And if you are for what Hamas says and you vote for them, then you're also complicit in it. So I don't really care. That's not an argument to me. Like have a moral backbone. 
I, I it's like easy for you to say, Andy, you live in America, you won't get killed for voting for somebody. Fine, say that. But moral morality is morality, and I can say have a backbone. If you don't agree with them, then don't vote for them, and don't vote with the Klan. I I know people don't. This is like a harsh thing to say, but I'm not gonna. I feel like there's there's a bit of condescension in not in this question, but in the call for ceasefire generally, is that if you don't call for a ceasefire, you're a hate-filled bigot. And I'm not. I, I just, I'm not an idiot. And I'm not ignorant of what the actual objective situation is. And I just don't think Hamas is going to say, oh, thank God we have a ceasefire. Okay, we'll stop firing rockets into your nation now because you got the, we got the ceasefire that all these liberals called for. Thank the Lord that we're done with that. I, I just, it seems a bit... Not from John, but the the call for ceasefire seems a bit condescending. It, it it's like, hey, let's all pretend and act like idiots here, um, because we're gonna grandstand okay, and be virtuous. Like, uh, I so so I am sympathetic to the idea that the likelihood that the only thing Hamas will do during a ceasefire is to take advantage of it is I think is probably the highest likelihood, like a hundred percent. They've done it every it's, time. It's, it seems that it would seem that way to me. Okay. I think the additional question is, are there other things that would be getting done during the ceasefire? Like could Palestinian non-combatants be evacuated? Would Hamas, would Hamas attack humanitarian people going in and trying to get those people to camps where violence will be perpetrated on them, et cetera. Right. right? right. Um, I, I, so for me, even though I think just as, so if, Hamas is just using other people's stupidity to buy themselves some time to reposition to kill some more people. And they're like, hey, you guys, let's get a ceasefire, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's obviously stupid, right? Um, however, if if um that I mean, ceasefire here, either can yeah. be had on certain terms, like the release of hostages, or other good things can be happening, even though we know Hamas is going to use that 48 hours or week or whatever mm-hmm. to resettle and try to kill us. But we're doing other things that we think are highly valuable too. Maybe it's worth it as a trade, right? Even I, though we know I, they're not going to act in good faith. No, I, I, I can see some of that. I think that the issue that I'm seeing here is that one, I don't think most of the people calling for a ceasefire are thinking that deeply about it. They're doing it because it's it's their virtue signaling and they're doing it because everybody else is calling. That's a popular thing to do right now. Call for the ceasefire. Yeah, but, but I want to I want to distinguish between the reasoning for a policy and a policy. Right. Yeah, or but think about the think about if somebody had raped ten women straight for, for ten years, just constant raping, and then somebody stepped in and started just beat the living crap out of that person. Would anybody be saying, no, 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 let's stop this fight and like let's let's like let the the rapist go back home and kind of re-strategize and come back out and like nobody would be saying that. That's insane. His his action he has proven but who he but is. We don't have the rapist by the throat, right? The 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 rapist is diffuse among a large group of people. Sure, sure, in a sure. sure. Area, and we're just bombing the yeah, but those people yeah, like also if we, if love we had the Hamas, rapist. If we they, had like all of Hamas in a bar in like in a, in a downtown Gaza city, we we're like yeah. we were like shooting at them, and they're pinned down, and yeah. people are like, "Let's have a ceasefire. Let's let right. these guys go home, and let's figure it out later." I'd be like, "Oh, there's no ceasefire. Okay, the we're gonna finish this." Is, the but that's not what's surrounded by civilians who built his house, know what he's doing, and helped him get the women. 
Yeah, but the complicity of like different individual Palestinian people in Gaza, I just don't know how much we know about that. Like for like for one of the things I think is important to say as we probably move towards the conclusion of this podcast. Yeah, is, we should. As I look at these two emails from this gentleman we're calling John, I'm not sure we're dealing with his best arguments in them. Like, I like know, in one of them, he gives a paragraph about how there were two or three thousand believers in three churches in Gaza. Now those churches are completely destroyed. A number of these Christian believers we think are probably dead. Yeah. And shouldn't we care about that at all? Is there anything we should be saying about that or doing about that? Right. That there's 162,000 believers in Israel and the West Bank who are Palestinian. Like what, what is our responsibility to them? There's that question. It's also relative to like when you start the clock, that discussion, he talked about how like, you know, if you talk to a Palestinian person, they start, start the clock in 1948 during what they call the Nakba, which is, um, which is violence that was done against Palestinians by Israel, in, at least in their interpretation of it, and that a lot of them fled then, not just before the Six-Day War. Shouldn't those people be able to come back if you could differentiate them and those sorts of things? Like, that's not a stupid statement. Like, maybe it's oh, not yeah, yeah, yeah. the choice we should make, right? But, like, what do we tell people? And so here's one of my issues with this, it's just from a from a – just a conceptual perspective of how to operate, right? I don't know of any way Israel can protect itself without doing things to Palestinians collectively or as a group policy-wise for which they won't have legitimate gripes. Right, right. Yeah. Right? The, the, the and, Hamas and, or then, Palestine, right? They won't I'm have about Palestinians, not, not Hamas have, in particular, but Palestinians. Okay. And when those Palestinians have legitimate gripes, against a policy Israel might have to do, you get increased dividing walls of hostility between the two groups. And when yeah. the Palestinians talk among them, themselves, their arguments that they make with each other about how bad Israel is are rooted in those things. <clears throat> and when Israelis do it, they'll be rooted in the other things. And it's just, it's, I'm like, man, how do you... And part of me says, this is why the fundamental doctrine of Christianity is forgiveness mm-hmm. and humility. Um, but it's also but it's one of the reasons stupidity. why conflicts like this are so protracted. Yeah, and it's also not stupidity. It's not like like anybody in the church, if somebody came to your church and they said, hey, Nick, um, you know, again, I'm going to keep using the rape thing because I think that's something that everybody agrees on. Somebody raped me and, um, you know, whatever, they're in jail or whatever like that. And and you're just like, okay, yeah, we, we got to find a way to forgive this person. You got to forgive this person. Um, but you wouldn't be like, go hang out with them again when they get out of prison. You wouldn't say that because that's stupid. That's like really stupid. Would you say that? That you should go hang out with a rapist after they got out of prison? If you if that was the one who raped they you. raped you, I mean I doubt it. Yeah, unless you, you unless you thought that person had really changed. Right, 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 right. But but even so, it would be really stupid to just nonchalantly be like, oh yeah, go hang out with the rapist who raped you before. Nobody would say that. Christians are not called <laughs> to stupidity. They're called. We have to think rationally about things. We have to understand the entire situation and that the ceasefire. Argument is a grandstanding virtue signaling opinion. It has it is rooted in nothing objective about the situation between Hamas and Israel. Absolutely nothing. I just nothing. don't. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I think the way some people are saying it and how they're advocating for it, I think that's correct. I think in general, 
could a ceasefire bring about better humanitarian ends if done like quote well i'm not sure that's wrong i mean if if the i don't think israel, with hamas, israel it hamas doesn't want that maybe in a different situation yeah but like if we could hamas evacuate wants. a bunch of civilians or if we could like like you know israel can reposition their military stuff too during the but ceasefire these are like, like what ifs is is hamas really gonna let our israelis no, I out i mean no, come no, on i don't think it's a what if i take it as a certainty that if a ceasefire was declared, Hamas would use it to try to get an advantage in hurting Israelis or further controlling Palestinians under their control. Yeah. I assume that's what they're going to do with it, right? Because the they've done that is, multiple times in the past. Right, and right. you'd be stupid so, to think otherwise. But I think you can have a ceasefire with somebody in bad faith. Like I, like I do that with people with conflicts all the time. People I don't trust at all. And I think what, if I try to like bring down a conflict – they're actually going to reposition themselves to hurt me. There's some situations in which that's still a better move for me because I'm going to protect myself more from that person as they reposition themselves. And I'm going to try to win that new conflict because this face to face full conflagration conflict is hurting me and them and everybody else. And so I actually prefer another kind of conflict, which I'm going to get through this relational ceasefire. It may be that there is some way a ceasefire could be adjudicated for the benefit of the purposes of Israel and kill less civilians, but still prosecute against Hamas as necessary. Again, I agree uh, with your individual. I, I'm just not in the position to make the prudential choices of that decision. So if Bibi Netanyahu or if somebody who knows a lot, like like our, one of our dignitaries say, I think under these circumstances, a, a ceasefire of this long could be beneficial. I don't want to just say that person's just insane. Yeah, I think if they I mean, say, I think if they say, I talked to Bill over the Hamas team, and he's like, "Well, we don't want this fight, and we love the Jews. I think we need a ceasefire." And I believe him. I looked into his eyes, and I saw Jesus. <laughs> like I would, I'd be like, "Okay, you're nuts." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but you're, so I, you're like, individual. I, and I think the distinguishing between that is like what this podcast is supposed to be all about, right? Is like we're trying an optive to be like, how do you get a perspective? How do you like? Order the, the the light in your eyes, as Jesus would say in Matthew 6, towards something to say, what could be the good here? Is there any good we could wring out of this situation? Or what is better, what is less bad than the worse? Or how could we how could we advocate for peace, even if it's just clarifying or saying what it would take, right? And I think saying things like, I don't think anybody could operate like Hamas is going to operate in good faith right now, hmm. has to be a starting point, right? I also think... There are precious, God-given, like image-bearing human beings in Gaza who are Palestinians. I agree. Some of those All people of are complicit in supporting Hamas stupidly. Uh, some of them think, are Hamas. I mean, they, they, they some, all yeah. are. Uh, right, God, right, right. Yeah. And some of them are like, they they just have drank the Kool-Aid because they just live in a place where the focus of anger is on Israel rather than Hamas. And they just are like, yeah, I guess Hamas is good, you know? Like, I mean, there are people in the South that thought the KKK we're going to save us from, quote, the blacks. They didn't know any black people. They didn't know what black people were going to do. They just figured that the people that were on their team were probably more right. So yeah. they thought the KKK were fine. And you're like, well, crazy. are they as bad as a KKK person? You're like, well, no. They're just stupid, though. They they're, just they're don't dumb. know. But, but that's the thing, Andy. Most people don't know what's going on. I mean, it's arguable that we don't know what's going on and we're okay, trying to in some way I know get what's going that, on. But in Most the people West, have no flipping clue. I get that. But in the West in 2024, we were in 2024 in the West. If you don't know what's going on, it's because you probably don't want to know what's going on. I disagree vehemently to that. 
Okay, Nick, anybody who's younger I than would, 35 no, who no, understands no, no. the algorithms, you, who understands the no. algorithms, you don't understand. You're old and all of your friends are old. Everybody, you guys are like, oh, all this information. People might, we understand the information. We understand the algorithms. We understand what the social media is trying to do to us into, into pushing us more towards our own viewpoint and things like that. And we're complicit in that. People my age want agree. that. I agree you're complicit, but that is not that does not mean the same thing as if you wanted to know the truth, you could easily know it. I do not believe that's true. You don't think that people could easily recognize and see if they read like for five minutes that no. Hamas wants nothing to do with a ceasefire and that's why they flew rockets into Israel to kill a civilians? That it wouldn't take somebody five between five minutes and 30 minutes to figure out that if somebody shoots rockets at you, they aren't interested know. in a ceasefire with you. That takes you. You have to have an IQ no. lower than like eighty to not be able disagree. to understand. No, that. disagree. If you told me this group of people who are the massive military inferiors to another group of people idiotically shot a bunch of missiles at their people, and then that superior group came in and adjudicated a campaign in which tens of thousands of people have died. That after that blood was running in the streets, they might want a ceasefire. I would be like, maybe. No, because I, they, again, that's 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 getting rid of the nature of Hamas. It takes a little bit of information well, to figure out what Hamas is all about and what they've done and who they right. are and what they want. If if you can read what Hamas itself calls for, which you can go and you can figure it out on the internet, what they've called for, the eradication of the entire state of Israel, you can read that. You can read their statements. You can read what they've put out to the public. Most and you people can say have never yourself, seen that stuff. And it'll never people, make their feed. But because they spend all day on flipping TikTok. They're right. choosing to be idiots. They're not choosing to read a damn book or read a statement. Like grow up. If you are thinking like if you think that the answer is so simplistic as to just call for a ceasefire and the whole world will go to like bubblegum and rainbows, you have complete, you have missed the ball on like everything in life. You but need to Andy, wake haven't you, up. Haven't you had experiences where oh, there's a situation where you have to make a decision and you're like, and you definitely know more than some idiot who's saying something. And you're like, that's not the right answer. The right answer is not A, the right answer is B. And then like 10 minutes later, you learn a fact you didn't know. And that fact is sufficiently consequential that the answer is either A and you didn't know it or it's C. Right. And then you find out something else. And that's like, oh, crap, that changes the dynamic a lot. And now the answer is D. And yeah, like, but, how do but you I'm and I know? Like, I'm, I might know more than the average TikToker idiot who doesn't care about any of this and hasn't been paying attention. But my iteration of the level of answer that I have may still be way away from the answer we need or, quote, the right answer. Right. Yes, and it's yes, also important to yes. recognize. But you're that, trying to figure it out, Nick. They aren't even trying to figure it out. The people right, but that might, doesn't mean I could still be worse. I could be trying to figure it out. And the answer that I advocate for could actually have worse consequences. I don't you, know. You know that there's a that there's a natural law and that if you no, if no, you No, think about this. Let's say Bibi Netanyahu really does want to distract people from some of his weak policies in his judicial reform measures and that people didn't like him, so that he wanted to prosecute the attack a lot and maybe he has been clumsy in doing so and killed lots of civilians that he really didn't need to. And maybe it's not being done right. And maybe there are intelligence disadvantages because he hasn't been paying attention and maybe he's getting a little older and not working things as well as he could. And Maybe there's been a decline in Israeli military function and intelligence. And maybe because of that, tens of thousands of more Palestinians are getting killed. Now, I might not know that even though I try to know more than the average TikToker. And the TikToker might be right, 
just like you're right when you look at a, a clock that's broken twice a day, but it just happens to be saying the time that it really is. And you you happen to be right about the time for completely the wrong reasons. It could possibly be that the most progressive person who like chants from the river to the sea is actually more right than me just for the wrong reasons. And I don't know that. I'm doing that's the best insane. I can. I, I, I don't think that that's a good argument. One, because if Netanyahu's, if Israeli's, if Israeli's uh, de, uh, national defense is worse because of his rule and because of his laziness or sloppiness, the the idea that Hamas would would weaken instead of strengthen is ridiculous. That they would strengthen and they wouldn't be getting killed by the ten thousands, and that would give them the opportunity to shoot. We don't know that Hamas rockets. is getting killed by the ten thousands. We know that Palestinians are getting killed. Okay, by the and that a lot of Palestinians identify as as pro Hamas. We know that as well. In and that, surveys, they say that they voted for Hamas. They're pro Hamas. Yes. Yeah, and so but that be, doesn't mean they were pro the attack in October. What do you think it means to be pro Hamas? If somebody says to me, "I'm a Christian," what, and then I'm going to go. Don't know what they evangelize mean. I mean, in in Africa. I'm going to be like, why are you evangelizing in Africa, you okay, moron? Like, I know the, what the principles of my my religion is. And okay, this of- okay, this started with my objection about if you wanted to know the truth, you could know it. That's the thing I objected to. Yeah, and that's fine. We gets, can talk about this. That. Gets back to the different differentiation that um, from the book "Amusing Ourselves to Death." I'm trying to think that Neil Postman wrote in like 85. Okay. And he says in the introduction of that book, he said in the like cold war, people thought that the future was going to be like, um, 1984, George Orwell's 1984, that there'd be like these government yeah, yeah. controls over language. He's like, but in Aldous Huxley's brave new world, it was not that you wouldn't be able to find the truth because it wasn't there. It's that there'd be so much other noise that it would be finding the truth would be like finding a needle in a haystack. And then he says, the point of my book is that Huxley rather than Orwell was right. Now here's the even bigger problem. Since the conglomeration of, um, technological businesses like Google and Facebook that have begun to now censor and control. What's actually happened now in 2023 is that both Orwell and Huxley are right. That the truth is a needle in the haystack, a much a bit a bunch million like all these different people blathering about all kinds of stuff who have different knowledge levels and the the rest of their facts are very different. And you have now Pseudo government, super large media conglomerates censoring things, what we can say, how we say, who sees what and in what way. So we have like the worst version of Orwell's 1984 with the worst version of Brave New World. And it makes the truth hard to discern. No, I I, I agree with that. I also agree that in the nature of man that uh, that we have a conscience and that that conscience can tell us can at least be a guide to what is true and what is not true and what is right and what is not right and what is right and wrong. And because of that, unless your argument is that the vast majority of people in the United States have completely seared their conscience, which I would be like open to no, that. No, that's because not what I'm arguing. In, in order for your conscience to make an intuitive decision about right and wrong, it has to already assess what's happening. What are the facts? Right? No, and it can get to that. No, general it, it, proportion. No, it it doesn't and have to If you to can't have, get that it, information, your your conscience can't make the decision. No, your conscience leads you to what the fact is. The fact is it doesn't precede the conscience. The conscience is the thing that draws you nearer to the truth. The truth isn't the thing that draws you nearer to a to a to a to a functional conscience. That that would make the conscience not 
the the conscience the the no, fundamental I, conscience reality of the truth in right and wrong precedes the the fact the the changing facts of our times that that if you have right but it doesn't it doesn't differentiate what are facts and what aren't for you i mean on one level you could say that your ability to judge people's like honesty is a faculty of wisdom that you develop that's very close to conscience, your sense of right and wrong. I think right there, you're actually conflating discernment, your capacity for discernment with your conscience. I'm saying conscience as, as in, as in your, your ability to intuitively understand right and wrong. Correct. Yeah. But what, but what, but what you were saying was there's something that draws you to the facts in the yes. midst of all the other stuff. That's not conscience. That's discernment. No, that's, that's conscience that, that, that what I, is right. I don't and think what it is, is. You can know what is morally right. If I, if I say option, either Sarah hit Sally or Sally hit Sarah, it's not your conscience. That, so, okay. So the old story about Solomon, right? Two prostitutes come before Solomon. One of them says, look, I had a baby. This other lady had a baby at the same time. She accidentally smothered her baby. She put her dead baby by me and took my live baby. That's my baby, not hers, right? Mm-hmm. And Solomon has to determine which one of these women is lying to him. Yeah. It was not his conscience that told him. It was his wisdom, which was his discerning capacity to create a counterfactual situation in which the truth was revealed. Then his conscience said, I should give the baby to the, to the mother who it actually belongs to. The moral choice of what was right was so clear once the discernment took place. And the Bible attributes that not to conscience, but to wisdom. Solomon was so wise, he was able to draw out the truth. Once the truth was drawn out, what was just was obvious because everybody had a conscience. But what, but what is true about the conscience is that, is that it, Okay, so from my understanding, what is true about the conscience is if it is the, if it's, if it's what is right and what is wrong, and that is, if things are constantly changing, like the truth is, I'm not saying the truth is constantly changing, but new truths are coming about. Like the facts, like five years ago, Hamas and Israel were not engaging in the conflict that they are today. So new facts about this conflict are now uh, arising that we are seeing that we wouldn't have been able to see five years ago. Your ability to to your ability to have the wisdom to discern whether or not things are true or false within the narrative about Israel and Hamas comes from your ability to see what is right and wrong in the nature of man and in the hearts of people who are giving the information about the situation. I, I think that you can look at. Um, the reliability of news networks and sources. And you can say, like, for instance, is it, does the conscience play a role in whether or not somebody should cut their child's penis off because that kid thinks that they're a girl? Like, like, I think that there's a fundamental truth that the conscience gives you the, that leads you to the, the your conscience of what is right and wrong leads you to mm-hmm. the truth and that you shouldn't cut their penis off because that's, yeah. Horrifically, I evil. actually think that that's actually that's an interesting example. Not because it's a simple one. Can we do this in like five minutes? Because I I really got to go. I don't <laughs> I think that's so. okay. Should we should we stop there and then try? Because to Because I think it? that's one of those situations where the conscience can be tricked and actually get a false positive or a false negative. I I don't think we should go in the I I we should wait on that. Okay, just yeah, because, so, just okay, because so, I'm not trying to say that. But I'm just because. That's going to go like in a four-hour conversation probably. Okay, so I think that people like you and me do owe it to ourselves to listen to people like John 
Yeah, I, who, I, I especially like, if they yeah. live with Arab Palestine, Arabs and Palestinians on a day to day basis, their arguments are at least sharing with us how these other people are looking at it mm-hmm. and really appreciating the alternative perspective, whether we agree with it or not. Mm-hmm. has to precede some of our judgments in terms of For how sure. we're going to deal with those people. And, and I I'll, think some yeah. of the stuff he sent us is really helpful. Yeah, I do too. And I think that like um, – And I, th- I think our conscience should also say what is happening to many of these Palestinian people is terrible. a catastrophe. Yeah. It's terrible. We might It may not be, quote, wrong. But it's horrible that, is, that people it, it, are The perpetration of it killed. may be yeah. just relative yeah. to what would be a just war. Yeah. But we have to say it's a catastrophe. It's horrible. And then, and then the question coming up, could this be avoided? Right. Is a moral question we should ask. Yeah. Now, it might be a yeah. naive – it may be asked naively mm-hmm. and simplistically, but I think that he's right and we should recognize and say that is a important and good question to ask. Yeah, right. right. Now, you can't answer it naively, but you right. should be asking. And as a Christian, <clears throat> you should be asking it with incredible intensity. I think his third point is a good missionary point, which is this. The work of Christ that was being done in these places was difficult and fragile, and this war is decimating it. And that matters to God. And man, it would be great if Christians cared about Christians mm-hmm. in the midst of this and not just what their geopolitical judgment is relative to what should happen between nation mm-hmm. states. Because to us, the church is the ultimate nation. Right. Right. And I think that's a good point that he makes in the emails. Yeah. I think that's and important. I, I think from his perspective, I, I can imagine it's probably infuriating listening to, listening to this podcast and not being able to like respond in real time. I could, I would just drive me crazy if I, if I was on the receiving end of this. So yeah. he did say if he's in town, he'll shoot us an email and we can all get together and talk about it. I'd be willing to do that a hundred percent. I think that it's, these conversations are good to have over email and stuff like that, but I think yeah. they're, we, that I, Nick and myself have an unfair advantage in that we're responding in right. real time on podcast and he's not responding. And, we, and I'm sure and he we would haven't have spent time and we haven't spent arguments. time with it. We didn't do any, a whole podcast on all the stuff that we agree with in what he said. It was mostly sure, like right. the pieces that we disagreed with. Cause like we want to see the dividing wall of hostility break down between Hamas yeah, right. and Israel. We, and, and the and gospel to go to the places of the world that it hasn't been yeah. before and for people to know who Christ is and for people to, and for that to reconcile nations and peoples yeah. and tribes and all over the world. Like that's, that's the goal. Right. Um, and we don't want to live in revenge. No. And right. We, 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 we want, don't want to see we war. Want holistic justice. We yeah. don't want to see war. Right. And so, um, yeah, we, we just – I think you and I both have some agreements geopolitically at probably what, what is probably wise and how we believe progress, more progressive people mm, don't yeah. take terrorists at their word about what they want to do. Yeah. I also um, – one of the books I read some years ago was the Rutledge Atlas on the Palestinian Air, Palestinian-Israeli conflict and it goes mm. through like page by page, sometimes even month by month wow. about what happened when. Dang. I found it very, very helpful. In in trying to understand this conflict and what happened when and so on. And I I think that when I, when I concluded reading that, um, I was very pro-Israel. Sure. Because for reasons I won't get into now. And because of that, I think that though we want to be very charitable towards Palestinian peoples, I don't think it can be at the expense of the security of the people of Israel. Yeah. I think we got to end this thing, but um, this is not going to be the last time we talk about this stuff. This, this maybe the last time in a row we talk about it. Yeah. Next. I don't know. We'll probably do some technology. No, we have to finish orthodoxy. We have to finish orthodoxy first. (laughs) Um, Anyways. uh, Yeah. Thanks for the questions. Um, And, you know, for people listening, if you have any questions or if you want um, to know anything, just email us Uh, the emails in the description of this podcast and, and we'll tr- we'll get to ho- hopefully get to it and try to answer 
answer it. Um, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends, give us a five-star rating, leave a review, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.